Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're rocking with the most awesome The Carl Nelson Show. Good morning, Wake Up Squad, and thanks for starting your day with us again. Later, the University of Houston's top Africana and history professor will take over our classroom. Dr. Gerald Horn will unpack the issues between Hamas and Israel in the Gaza Strip. Dr. Horn will also talk about if that situation will impact the Ukraine crisis. Dr. Horn will also uh, review the GOP infighting and explain if we are witnessing a slow motion coup uh, on the way to fascism. It's pretty deep. Before Dr. Horn, Baltimore City firefighter Mitchell Waters will divulge the issues in his federal lawsuit against the fire department. But to get us started, Dick Gregory's youngest son is here as we celebrate his dad's birthday. Good morning, Yohanse. Good morning, Carl. How are you doing today? Excellent. How about yourself? Oh, always outstanding and uh, blessed to be here, giving thanks and praise to the creator and the ancestors, as always. All right. Two after the topic. Let me say this straight up, folks. We're celebrating uh, Dick Gregory's birthday today. If Dick Gregory impacted your life, if you have a Dick Gregory story, we'd love to hear from you. So reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Having said that, uh, Johansi, was Greg, your dad big on, on, on birthdays? You know, I, I, I've said this a few times before, uh, I think here when people often ask me, you know, what part of my father's legacy do I think was most impactful from him being a comedian to civil rights activist to health nutritionist, human rights activist. And what I tell people is, is, is that more than anything, my father was a spiritual master. And so when it came to birthdays, it wasn't so much from a celebration party standpoint, it was from a spiritual standpoint. My father was very much um, into uh, metaphysics and just the true study of universal law. So every one of his birthdays, he would look to see spiritually what was the most impactful place that he was supposed to be in the planet. So literally, Carl, uh, he would find himself at places all around the world uh, because he would get reading and say, hey, listen, you've got to be and uh, wherever Bucharest on your birthday. And, 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 and he would not only, he would say, you know, for October 12th, but he would put in the whole piece from the time he was born and see his true universal birthday. So sometimes it may be, you know, midnight, October 11th. Sometimes it may be, um, you know, 1 p.m. October 12th. And so oftentimes, I remember hearing an incredible story. Sometimes, you know, my dad would be somewhere halfway around the world, maybe just for 12 hours and then come back. So, you know, from a party standpoint, not really, but just understanding, you know, aligning ourselves with the true universal energy. You know, you know, we, we have all this that we have going on in the world right now. My father would say, you know, religion is man-made. You know, religion has brought about, as we see, some of the worst acts in the history of humanity. But true spirituality, 
uh, is something that is not. This or that is not defined by any group of people, isn't owned or controlled by any group of people, but it's universal. It's law. And so that's what he would tap into on his birthday. Uh, well, let me because you mentioned your dad is a comic, is a comedian. Could you decipher when he's being real and when he's being funny? Because a lot of the jokes, he's deadpan. He looks at you straight in the face and he's not even smiling. Could you, could yeah. you decipher? <laughs> you know, the interesting thing was, as is the case with, uh, you know, with so many folks, um, you know, growing up, I always tell people, you know, people would often ask, hey, well, what was it like growing up with your dad, being a comedian and being so funny, you know, for the longest time, uh, and, you, and you think that for, for most of us, we were born after the height of our father's comedy career, right? Or at the very least, my older siblings were, were very young at the time of the height of his comedy career. Um, and so while we knew he was a comedian and we knew, you know, uh, he was internationally renowned for that, when he was home, you know, it was a totally different, it was a totally different personality. Uh, and for the longest time, I remember when I was younger, because, you know, if anything, I would hear my father's at political rallies and lectures. I would, I would, I would question that myself. Like, was, is he really a comedian? Because he wasn't funny. He was dead serious. Um, and the thing that I think caught us off guard the most, uh, you know, because a lot of those things, that we were raised as, whether it was, you know, strict uh, vegan, you know, we were, we were vegans before vegan was even a word, right? It was, we had to, we had to, we had to give a whole list of qualifiers to explain the level of vegetarian that we were, uh, whether it was, you know, the, the not being able to watch TV. We had, to, we, we had literally a 10 inch, think about a 10 inch black and white TV in our home that was had for news updates and purposes. And so every time my father wasn't around, we'd be crowding around trying to watch all of our shows and cartoons, this, that, or whatever, from the ability of not being able to have most toys, because we look at how non-inclusive our toys are today. So you can just imagine how that was in the 70s and 80s. Things that I do to this day with my own children, things that I'm so happy for. But as a child, you know, growing up, you weren't, you weren't excited about those things. So the things that I think, uh, for us is when we were allowed to do some of those mainstream things. For us, we would question, is our father serious or not? Or is this some kind of trick? Is this some kind of some kind of test? But as a kid growing up in the household, no, that was the last thought of, 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 of whether we thought our dad was funny because he was dead serious. Now, as we got older um, and, and, and our relationship changed, matured, and developed, and we traveled around with him more, we saw more of that comedic, comedic side. But just an everyday interaction, uh, it was, as a, from a parental standpoint, from a fatherly standpoint, it wasn't, you know, cracking jokes left and right. All right. At seven after the top, let's, let's bring Kevin for a second, because your dad and Miss Hughes mentioned this uh, last week when she was here, that um, many of the times when she started this, this radio station, this one, WOL, uh, that, uh, that she couldn't have a guest, couldn't afford one, but Dick Gregory was always there. So, Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning. How y'all feeling? <laughs> good morning. Right. What good was morning, it like? Kevin. Kevin, you said Kevin was there, Johan, say, when, when, yeah. when, this, when your dad was coming in. Was he yeah. invited? Was he part of the show? How did that work out, Kevin? Well, oftentimes Dick Gregory would show up. <laughs> Sometimes he was there. Sometimes he was there at 5.30 before she started her day. 
and sometimes the show would be well into almost eight o'clock, almost nine, and he'd walk in. He had carte blanche. He could come in and make the show work. And uh, I, I was there the morning he said, information is power, you know? <laughs> so we recorded, oh, wow. we recorded that and that became part of the drop of the morning show, you know, information is power and uh, in, in Dick Gregory's voice. So I remember when he said that. But I was um, familiar with Dick Gregory from the bicentennial year. See, in 1976, you know, everything just seemed, uh, I don't know, to me, just seemed like the America was in a, a, a hopeful situation. And, but that's when Dick Gregory started his run across the United States from L.A. to New York. And uh, he ran with Muhammad Ali. And so that's how I was familiar with Dick Gregory. But then when he started showing up on the morning show, then that's when he and I got, I won't say, you know, we weren't bosom buddies or anything, but he had this way of never meeting a stranger. So he would always come to me and go, how's your family? How's your mother? <laughs> you know, <laughs> which would make me think and respond to him. So uh so yeah, that's why he had carte blanche. He came in and well, well let me jump in and ask you this though, though Kevin, because uh, he, he was on just uh, for a lot of times, just every day, every yeah. day, every day. This Dick Gregory. Mm -hmm. So any, anybody complaining? The listeners say, "Man, there's too much of Dick Gregory." Can, can, you, can you get somebody else? Did he get any complaints like that? Well, no, we we never got uh, any complaints uh, of that nature. Remember, the talk show format was still pretty new. And uh, so people would would listen and were caught, you know, just in the whole hype of everything because you never knew when Miss Hughes would start something either. Now, I mean, you know, she was she was no slouch at um, at getting audience involvement. But then when Dick came in, you know, he could he could go on on any topic, so that, which almost gave her a break for a second. She could just <laughs> sit back, you know, and let him. Um, talk for you know just go on on any topic and so th so we never actually heard any uh, complaints of that nature no no not enough yeah, yeah, too yeah. much dick you can't you couldn't get enough of dick gregory that was just I, too I much information yeah and I'll share with you, we, we did the show in L.A., and it, Dick Gregory actually is the opening, like you said, information is power. I didn't know that he came up, came up with that slogan, but he opened our show, our morning show. It's, uh, uh, God bless you, Dick Gregory. Uh, it goes, God bless you, Dick Gregory. Uh, something with a wake-up. Oh, the front page, your early morning drum for all of Southern California is now wide open for you. And that's how the show started. Every, this is like for maybe 20 years. And everybody used the because before and prior to that, you had some drums beating, you had some drums. So it was like in the village and the drums and Dick Gregory's voice comes on on the radio to wake everybody up, to get up, because now you're going to hear some great information. But in addition to that, what we did, too, because some people who couldn't get up, we had cassette tapes. And the ones that sold the most, because we had, we had to have an intern do all of this, this is work, was Dick Gregory, Claude Anderson, Mark from Anaheim, and those were the three. Those, you know, we were talking in a day, those tapes, they had to run off maybe 300, 400 tapes with those, with those particular folks. Before it was just to put the money in petty cash, you just want to appease the listeners because they want a copy of the tape. They missed it or they couldn't get up. But then it, it got, it was making so much money, they made it a line item. So, so they had to figure <laughs> out what to do with this money because it was just pouring in at that time. But he was one of the drivers. But, you know, let me go back to Johansson because Johansson, uh, uh, Kevin mentioned that your dad ran across the country from L.A. 
across the country. Muhammad Ali joining for a, a brief part. Can you talk about that for, for us? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, my dad, uh, you say, started his career. Part of the, the, the beginning of that was the fact that he went to college on a track and field scholarship. He was a champion runner coming out of St. Louis Summer High School in St. Louis, uh, earned a full athletic scholarship to Southern Illinois University, um, where, again, he was a, a star runner there. And, you know, it's interesting because then, you know, when he gets into comedy and entertainment, kind of completely lets health go. He's smoking and drinking, gained up to almost 300 pounds. Uh, but then when he gets back into health and nutrition later in the 60s, he really starts um, using his own experience uh, just transforming his body as well as understanding and having grown up in adject poverty, just the understanding of the effects of, pov- of, of, of poverty and malnutrition on the body uh, for so many of our uh, young families growing up in the U.S. and around the world. And so he starts to literally, he turns himself almost into, almost into a little miniature laboratory, and that's when he started uh, working with uh, the, uh, the the health scientist, um, uh, Dr. Uh, um, Fulton, and really experimenting and creating. Actually, well, hold, on, hold that story right there, Johan. Sure. So we got to take a quick break. I'll let you pick it up on the other side. Folks, you can join us too. If you've got a Dick Gregory story, if he impacted your life, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your calls in four minutes after we check the traffic and weather in our different cities right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, we're on with Johansson Gregory, Dick Gregory's younger son. Today is Dick Gregory's birthday, and we want to hear from you if Dick Gregory somehow influenced your life or impacted your life. We had a meeting with Greg. Let us know. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. So, Johansson, I'm going to let you finish your story. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, so I'm saying that he took that platform of really trying to make a dent in the fight against world hunger and malnutrition uh, and what ultimately was experimenting with, 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 with products that ultimately led up to the creation of the Hamian diet. And the first in 1974, he ran from Chicago to New York. Uh, and, and then uh, he said, hey, we're going to take this to the next level and run a full cross country. And he ran from, and so it was 1976, ran from Los Angeles to New York City, ran on average about 50 miles a day. 
it took about two and a half months. And at various stages along the way, he would have numerous people running with him, as you noted um, most famously uh, at one point. He had Muhammad Ali, who became a very close friend of his, uh, ran up uh, on, on a number of the legs. But the other thing, Colin, I think the most important thing about this story is there were so many people that over the years – that have found out that I was Dick Gregory's son, could be from Terre Haute, Indiana, could have been from somewhere from Arizona, could be from somewhere in Kansas, who said, hey, back in 1976, I ran a day, I ran part of that day's 48 to 50 miles with your dad, and it was, you know, so amazing, you know, and in this day and age, we get caught up in so much of the celebrity and, 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 and the grandness of things, but the human personal interaction, you think about what that is like, to run across this country, just the physical demand that's putting on your body. And to be able to take that moment in time and be able to be a part of that with somebody, that is that is something. And, and, and even years later, when I would hear about it, and I know, yeah, my dad ran across country to raise awareness to fight world hunger. And, you know, he took his Forex formula as his major nutritional supplement. I didn't really think about that personal aspect. But that was something, as people would tell me these stories and share them, that would change lives. I think it was the, the president of uh, out in L.A., Loyola, Loyola, University of Loyola Marymount, who actually kicked off um, the, the opening of the race and gave an invocation or somewhere early on. Um, you know, the, the other part is, is, is that years later, right, this is a type of history that I don't think has ever been taught in school. I know some people who do know it or know about it have found out it by reading, you know, either a news article or maybe uh, uh, my father's uh, third autobiography, Callous on My Soul. But this is the type of thing that we talk about when we talk about somebody's legacy that was truly committed to impacting the world and leaving the world a better place. He did this not for himself, but to raise uh, uh, attention to this issue, he had his, his shirt on, Dick Gregory Root, uh, run across, uh, to fight against hunger. People, It was almost like a, a, a telethon where people could pledge a penny a mile, and that mile went to helping to fight world hunger. Shortly after this, within a few years after this, he got connected to some uh, uh, medical doctors that were fighting against the famine in the early 80s in Ethiopia. So this was just another amazing chapter in my father's life where, you know, without trying to have fanfare or whatever, but to take his celebrity to help to fight something that has no color, that has no border, that doesn't discriminate, that literally affects children on every corner of, of around the world, on every continent of the world where, where, where humans are, and of every race, every religion, every skin tone. Oh, wow. What a story. 24 after the top half. You have a story about Dick Gregory. Today's his birthday. We're celebrating Dick Gregory's birthday. Incredible human being. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Online, too, we got Bilal calling from D.C. Bilal, good morning. You're on with Johanse. Good morning. How you doing, Carl? First of all, how you doing, sir? For bringing all this together. Excellent, brother. Excellent. Yeah, um, I got a story for uh, Yahanse and 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 and, and Ayana. They introduced us to uh, Dick Gregory, to their father, and he took us to uh, Riddick Bow Fight back when RFK Stadium was still open. And to this day, um, uh, we have a gym here, and they took us to this boxing gym called Midtown. And they opened it back up on uh, George Avenue recently, but um, 
they introduced us to reading, and um, uh, it was an implement that they put inside the boxing gym. Uh, it was called Midtown Youth Academy. And I have just, I mean, they changed my life forever because, I mean, anytime I ever thought about quitting, man, I just remember, man, I just remember, trust me. That's it. That's all I got to say. And Yahan say, man, uh, I'm glad I've crossed your paths in life. Um, you probably don't remember me, but you probably remember Seven, my friend Seven. No, absolutely, absolutely. So okay. great to so, hear you, bro. Yeah, bro. So yeah, great yeah, to hear yeah, your voice, yeah, brother. Kept fighting each other in the Golden Gloves every year, and I kept losing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's my yeah. best friend. <laughs> oh man, man, so wonderful to hear you. Please, please, please reach out. Probably twelve. I've seen, I seen it probably thirteen, twelve years ago before my grandmother uh, moved from Sherman Avenue. But yeah, man, I all, y'all always been in my, uh, my life, even though I've seen y'all so many, so many years. But I, I just like I just know y'all. <laughs> yeah, no, please, please do reach out. Please, about, please. I'm gonna say what year it was. I think I was about thirteen years old. It was nineteen ninety three. You yep, were still going yep, out. Yep, yep. We were uh, me and Ayana were, were both students at Howard. Uh, both students at Howard. <laughs> Yeah, man. You changed a lot of our lives. There's a lot of young guys I still bump into, but um, Jean's daughter actually still uh, holding up the gym. She just um, opened it back up on George Avenue. But I'm I'm going to close with that, man. It was just a blessing because I listened to the station a couple of days. I kept saying, man, you know, something I like. And then this morning, because I get up real early, and I, I listen to the station all day long, and and I just always chime in. And I decided to say, hey, great, that's just, whoa. Then I heard your hunts. I got to call in on this. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, definitely, man. It's a blessing. And, and call, keep it up. And uh, thank y'all for letting me share, man. Uh, and hey, keep it up, man. Y'all, 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 y'all right. doing y'all doing. Peace, brother, a lot. And please call back, uh, call. If you can have your producer share Yeah, my yeah. Go out, just hold on and give your number to Kevin. Yeah, give your number to Kevin please, so we'll pass it on to your Please, 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 please. I got to find this phone number uh, through my phone. I just got to cut on yesterday. And I'm glad okay. I got cut on yesterday. I, I well, well, when you find it, just call back and, and, and leave it with Kevin, the producer, and he'll give it to your Hansei. Man, I definitely will, uh, Mr. Paul. Peace. Yeah, I have a great day. All right, All right Bilal. Yeah, peace, Great to brother. hear from you, brother. Yes, 28 peace. after the top of the hour. Yahansi, uh, do you hear stories like that all the time? People tell you, you know, for most folks, we know what our parents did. You know, we know what they did, who they knew. We know, we, we know all about them. But do you run into people says tell you stories that you've never heard about your dad? To this day, to this day, um, you know, it's you know, it, it, some of the stories are similar that me or my siblings have heard. Um, so whether it was from you know, and I've mentioned this before, I'm sure, on the show, you know, when, when, when I went to Howard and there were other, you know, one of the things about our parents is that they required, uh, after my sister Michelle, who went to school on a basketball scholarship, being the oldest, they required all the other of us, the remaining nine, to go to an HBCU at least for one degree. So, we, you know, with there being, uh, not, uh, you know, ten of us in total, nine of us after Michelle, uh, you can imagine that was we 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 took in a, a number of the different HBCUs, and so so often when we were on campuses, my father was a huge supporter of HBCUs and black businesses in general. Uh, people would come up to us and say, "Hey, you know," when they found out we were Dick Gregory's children, "Hey, you know, didn't know uh, you don't know me, but you know." Your father, your your parents paid for me to go to school, for my brother to go to school, for other siblings, people in the family to go to school. Also heard 
um, stories of, again, people coming up and saying, listen, you, you know, you don't know me, but your family paid my rent. Or, you, you know, my, my, my grandmother was a local grassroots activist in Louisiana, in Mississippi. And when your father came through for a rally, you know, they were getting ready to, 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 to lock her up and he held a, he held a, a, you know, a fundraiser right there for my grandmother. Or people would say that, that with one thing that you know about my, my dad, Carl, is, is that he literally never had a private number. Number was always listed. And if he was at home and somebody called, he would talk to that person for as long as that time allowed. So, People, after he passed, would start calling in or writing on my brother's Facebook page or other social media about individual individual interactions, grandmothers calling to get counsel because grandsons were locked up or being caught in, you know, railroaded in, 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 in some horrifically racist system um, in the South where they were arrested for stealing the candy bar and threatened to get 10 years in jail, and he would either personally give impact. He would connect them with lawyers. Sometimes he would pay for lawyers or some of the attorneys that he used would have them volunteer their time pro bono. I mean, as many of the things or people call with health advice, people call, you know, with so many of the uh, health uh, 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 situations that plague our communities from diet, sugar diabetes to high blood pressure, cholesterol. And he would take time creating entire diet plans for these folks, not just, oh, here's my standard one, read this book. He would ask them questions over a period of time and, 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 and write out a specific diet plan for them. He would also create praying groups for folks, Carl. I would tell you, with those rare times where he would have availability, he wouldn't just spend three hours on the phone with somebody. He absolutely would do that. But he would set up a, set up a schedule where he would say, hey, listen, brother, listen, sister, you call me at this time every day, and we will pray together for 30 minutes for the next week straight. I mean, those types of stories, as much as people know about what my dad did, there is so much more that they would have no idea what he did, and not because it was a Michael Jackson or a Riddick Bowe or a Muhammad Ali, but because it was an everyday brother and sister in our community, and that was his commitment. There are so many of those stories that some I knew because I would be sitting there listening to my dad on the phone as a kid, and others that we heard even more so by people calling in and just wanting to share that with us, oftentimes in tears, oftentimes not even being able to speak because, they, you know, the way we treat celebrity in this society is almost godly, like it's it, it's untouchable, right? We hold it up here. We, we, we can't come near it with the 10,000-foot 10, pole. And so, so often when people would interact with my dad, they would expect that experience. But when they saw not only was it that, but the exact opposite, not only am I – going to treat you, not going to treat you like you're, you're, you're a peasant or you're untouchable or you're down here. I'm going to give you more time than oftentimes many of your family or, your, or the medical professionals or legal professionals that you're paying for in your life are going to give you to help your situation. That's why Dick Gregory was so loved, and not just here in America, but around the world, because that was the energy that he exuded. He never stopped working, never, whether he was on the road or not, whether uh, you know he had a gig or not, he was always working for the upliftment of humanity. 
It's so true. And we're going to take another quick break here, 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. Folks, if Dick Gregory impacted you, your life, or if you have a Dick Gregory story, please share it with us at 800-450-7876. When we get back, I'll share a story with you with the uh, family, with the interview with Andrew Young that I did and asked him about Dick Gregory. Well, he told me about Dick Gregory. But right when I'm about now, we've got to step aside and get caught up on the latest news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes, though, with your answer, Gregory, and your phone calls. If you knew Dick Gregory, Dick Gregory impacted your life, hit us up again at 800-450-7876 right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. It's away from the top of the hour. We're celebrating Dick Gregory's birthday today with his youngest son, Johansi. If Dick Gregory touched your life, impacted your life in any way, or you met Dick Gregory, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Before we go back to Johansi, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with uh, the uh, University of Houston's Africana and History Professor, Dr. Dr. Gerald Horn. Also, uh, Michelle Waters is going to join us from Baltimore. He's a Baltimore firefighter. He's got a federal lawsuit against the city and the uh, fire department. He's going to tell us about that. And of course, tomorrow's Friday. give you another chance to free your mind and reach out to us. Express yourself. We start right here at 6 o'clock 6 a.m. Eastern Time, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. I got some friends of uh, your dad with us, Johansi, want to talk to you. So let's go, uh, let's, let's go to Alex first. Alex uh, calling from Baltimore. Alex, good morning. Greetings, greetings, my brother. And uh, happy, heavenly birthday to Dick Gregory. Uh, here in Baltimore, I... Uh, used to sell the uh, Bohemian Diet, so I participated in that, as well as I read the book, and uh, uh, he, he really got me starting to fast, fasting and things of that nature. And then I had a great opportunity to meet him. I used to work in sales at WOL in D.C. I met him there at the Radio 1 offices in Lanham at the time. Uh, shout out to Kevin Langford there. Uh, and the whole entire team. But when I met him, man, it was it was just so moving. His spirit, his conversation uh, has really stuck with me the rest of my life, even though he's, he's he was on the forefront of the movement. But when you were around him, it was a movement. It, you, you could feel you could feel the movement uh, today at 1130 on WOLB in Baltimore, Smitty and myself. Uh, we will give him another shout out uh, because it is a movement that uh, that we 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 have to continue to carry his movement of of eating right and doing the right thing and 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 also you know just uh, enhancing the lives of, of of our people of our community and I'm going to leave it right there and, and thank you, Carl, for this uh, opportunity to call in and salute a great great brother. And, and what time again are you going to do that on, on WOLB, Alex? All right. So our program starts at 1130, but at 12 o'clock, we're going to do a big shout out to Dick Gregory right. uh, for his heavenly birthday. And uh, because, you know, we we got to keep keep all of our, our leaders in the forefront and and the causes that, that you know, uh, that he promoted, you know, and and the Bohemian Diet, man, I, I really miss it. I, I don't know, I don't know what happened to him, but you know, everybody's doing smoothies nowadays. But hey, that thing will be right right on time right now, you know. So. You got that right. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. 
You know, yeah, Johansson, yeah. he mentioned the, the, your dad's spirit. For, you know, because people just meet him occasionally, but you're with him all the time. Could you detect your dad's, that positive energy that, that your dad emanates? Could you detect that all the time? Or, or you know, because for folks who just meet him every now and then, or they run into him on the street, one of the things they talk about, man, his brother's got some, so much positive energy coming out of his pores. But for you who were with him 24 7 for, for a lot of times, did you detect that, or is that uh, you just thought it was just normal? You know, most definitely. And, and and for us as kids, we literally almost thought like our dad was a magician to some degree because, you know, we we would just see that things would always happen with him, you know, uh, and he and his un, and I, I can't say it enough, Carl, his understanding of universal science was unparalleled to anything else, as great of a comedian as he was, as great of a civil rights and human rights activist as he was, um, and as great of a you know, health and nutrition guru as he was, his understanding of universal science, which really was the foundation for all of that, right? Um, but we don't like to talk about that in the mainstream. We don't like to talk about that in the society where, where because that, that, that leads into a, to, to a whole lot of other greater things, particularly when it comes to us and our history. But you know, so as kids, literally, we, we saw our dad, you know, had some, do some, do some secret magic or this, that, whatever. And then later in life, um, we did get used to, again, just that. But then as we would go around with him, as I got older, I think, I, you know, the first time I had any real memories of traveling with my dad, I was five years old. And then regularly on summer and school breaks, I would travel with him at any opportunity that I could get and just seeing how people interacted with him, right? Not just those, again, looking for an autograph or a picture, but just that energy, right? Without him even saying anything, just that energy um, and, and people wanting to be around that and drawn to that. Um, and then his sharing, you know, he would come up and I'm sure you probably experienced this uh, with him before. He'd come up to somebody and at hello, he'd start telling them things about themselves that, you know, their family didn't even realize. And then he'd ask you a couple of questions and tell you even more. And people were amazed, again, blown away, because he was a master of understanding true universal law and spiritual science. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So true. Uh, 14 away from the top there. Let's go to line three. Uh, Keith Silva. Keith's an activist in Washington, D.C. He knew your dad. Good morning, Keith. Yeah. Oh, Keith. <laughs> oh, Keith. Oh, my God. My brother, doing, my brother, brother Paul and brother Yohante. Lord. Oh. First, I want to pause and just say good morning to you, Carl, because you, you're just so dedicated. You always uh, have spoke truth to power, but I've learned so much uh 
from your shows because you were a very, very close friend, even though you're a professional uh, 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 journalist and talk show host, but you and Dick was just friends 24-7. So it's a pleasure getting to know you with and through Dick Gregory. And then you have Baba Dick Gregory's third son, uh, Johansson. Now, I've always contended that Johansson, uh, as you know, Dick had 10 children, nine other children, but I've always contended when Baba Dick was here, I said, Johansson is probably the smartest of all the, all the, all the children. He said, well, why, why do you say that? I said, not only does he get the wealth of knowledge and he's paying attention to his dad and to his mom, but you know how it is when you're growing up in the family. You got nine older brothers and sisters. You the youngest. You try to say something, but they don't listen yeah. to you. So now you absorbing all this not. So I contend that your heart say, quite frankly, is brilliant. I know for a fact his IQ is above uh, average. You know, so I just wanted to call and say hello to you both on our brother's birthday. And I can sum up Dick Gregory's life, believe it or not, in 10 words or less. Dick Gregory is the single most important man with the single most important message in the second half of the 20th century following the assassination of Dr. King in 68. You can't find one man that was consistently on the battlefield. And certainly you two guys know, and everybody in your listening audience know, Dick Gregory did not play. I was fortunate to be in his company several times, and we're going on a march of protests, and I'm looking around. I'm trying to figure out where the troops are. But we what he just when he fell through, all we needed was one man. He's a one man army. I'm Dick Gregory, and he got the attention of the powers that be. That I had ultimate respect for the brother. And I'm telling you both, and I know I'm not talking out of school to you, but I'm going to say to your listening audience, Dick Gregory was working with some universal power. Now I'm just saying, you no That's one right. can control when you transition. Dick Gregory passed on the eve. Of a, Johansson, uh, what you call it? Uh, eclipse. Eclipse. Uh, yeah, eclipse. Now, wait a minute, Carl. The eclipse started from the West Coast, came clean across the country, through the heart of the uh, country, and hit Washington, D.C. Uh, on the day of his homegoing service. Now, anybody that knows or claims to know Bob and Dick Gregory, he tell you point blank, you've got to celebrate the Eve. If it's your birthday, celebrate the Eve. Or if it's New Year's, he celebrate the Eve. And can't nobody tell me, I mean, you can't control when you leave. I know for a fact from that sole event, you can't tell Even though he was in the flesh and we all knew him as a friend and could see him and talk to him every day. Dick Gregory was a unique man, and I, I, he was totally inspired by God and a great inspiration for folk. And in growing up in the 60s, when I used to watch him and all the uh, major civil rights leaders, my pastor, Walter Fontroy, uh, uh, of course, Dick Gregory and the King family, you know, but I always noticed something unique about Brother Gregory. He didn't. He, he didn't put his wet his finger and see which way the wind blowing. If he stood for righteousness, he's coming straight down the middle. And let me tell you, he didn't care if the NAACP was with him. He didn't care if SCLC was with him. They had to get on board with his agenda. And I'm saying, we all witnessed greatness. And I'm just so very happy we saw this with our own eyes. Because 20, 30, 50 years from now, when people talk about Dick Gregory and even his legacy today is just recent, people just don't understand. This man actually lived in our time. He he was a unique character. So, Carl, I consider today an honor to be on this uh, talk show 
uh, speaking to the universe with you and your Hante, and it's just a tremendous day. And I've been listening to the uh, people calling in, and they have been uh, people have. Let me just tell you one thing about Brother Gregory. I'm not knocking no other civil rights leader, but if if you coming home and you parking your car and you taking your groceries out the car, if you caught Dick Gregory and he wasn't on the way to the airport, he'd stop helping you with your groceries, take it in the house. If you caught him in the airport or going down the hall, he would stop and talk to you for a whole hour, not unless he had something to do. What other national leader do you know would spend that time with you if you could catch him? He was a unique personality, and that's all you know. Uh, that, that's all that I can confirm with the with the other people that have called in thus far. Hey, Carl, I guess I should have held up and let you, you and your husband say good morning. But when they, when October twelfth came around, this is on my calendar. I really love your brother. He's a great man. All right. You know, Keith, we we absolutely love you. And please know this: a month doesn't go by where my mother doesn't say. How was Keith doing? Please well, you know, let him know how much yeah. you meant to our family. You know, uh, Carl, yeah. you, know, there's, there, you know, my father would always say this. In order for anything to happen, it's never just one person. There are always those behind the scenes. And there was never, never, never a moment when my father needed Key Silver that Key Silver didn't show up and stand a thousand percent in supporting there. Not a single thing, whether it was, you know, helping to move something in his apartment and doing it all night and maybe just him to walking into any battlefield where it was just one other person, and that'd be Keith Silver on his side. True, truly a true friend, a true brother, and a true family member. And not just me, the entire Gregory family loves you to life, Keith. Well, well, thank you, Arte. I don't want to get choked up in there, but let me just tell you this, man. I love you guys, your whole family, and I get all the energy I get comes from your family because a lot of people know who doesn't know the name Dick Gregory? But you got to look at his spouse, his uh, Lillian Gregory. You can't get a better spirit than her. And what people do not understand, even in the heyday of the civil rights movement, when Brother Gregory was moving around, catching airplanes and doing this and doing that, his wife had his calendar. Carl, she didn't have the internet or uh, what you call this stuff, Twitter or Twitter. Right. Toilet. Hey, she had a yellow tablet uh, uh, and an ink pen. And had her calendar, and he didn't miss one appointment. I saw this with my own eyes. So she's working on another level. And then each of his children, uh, I don't know if you've ever told your heart it's his story or not, but he says, Keith, you know, out of 10 children, you expect one or two of them not to be right. But all <laughs> of them are professional people in their own career. So you got to love a family that he just didn't talk to talk. He walked and walked. So I appreciate you all. But you guys all give off of just positive energy and bless your mom. And I got to do a better job with calling her. But she was the wind beneath the wings of Dick Gregory. There ain't no question about that. All right. Thanks, Keith. We're going to take a quick break. I know Hansi wants to respond to what you said. But hold that thought right there, Keith, because we've got to take a break yeah. and run up close on this time. We've got to check the traffic and weather. The folks need their news update in Baltimore. We'll be back in four minutes, though, six minutes away from the top there, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also on the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.
And good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with your Hansa Gregory, uh, Dick Gregory's youngest son. It, today is Dick Gregory's birthday, and we're doing a shout-out for, for uh, Dick Gregory. Keith Silver uh, called in from D.C. He's an activist in, in the district. So, Keith, I'm going to let you finish your thought real quick because we've got a couple other folks who want to get in. Yes, sir. Thank you, Carl. I just one thing I think is very significant about Brother Gregory's life. In the late 50s, he was, a, uh, quite frankly, the highest paid entertainer black entertainer in the late 50s. And around that time, he, he became uh, very social, more socially conscious than he was, and he joined the civil rights movement on a daily basis with Dr. King, Mega Evans, and others. But during that time, it's allegedly that he took a hit on his income. It's very important that people got to understand, Brother Gregory Spouse, it's important to be loved, but you got to be lovable. And the man sacrificing income. Now, I'm not knocking today's celebrities or the stars, but when you come to talking their paycheck on the line, I don't think too many people have that commitment Brother Gregory had. And then the second thing is, Carl, he really loved you. He appreciates you. I saw him change his schedule every time you did your Power Talk series and some things would come up. He said, no, 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 keep the calendar clear. We're going to cause power talk. So we love you, brother, and I, I appreciate you today. And uh, I just love what y'all doing for Brother Gregory today. God bless everybody. Right, God bless. Thank you so much, Keith. All right. I'll take some real quick, quick calls for you. Ahmad is on line four, calling from Radio Free Baltimore. Ahmad, can you make it quick for us, for your hunting? Ahmad, are you there? I'm not hearing Ahmad. All right, let's go to line two then. Let's go to Glaude in Baltimore. Glaude, good morning. All right, hold on a second, Claude. Hamad? There you go. Hello. Yeah, you're Hello. on. Go ahead. Yes, go ahead, Hamad. Ahmed. Ahmed, I'm sorry. Ahmed. Go ahead. Oh, I'd like to say good morning to the community calling from Radio Free Baltimore. On Dick Gregory's 55th birthday, I went up to Philadelphia. Some distributors from Baltimore gave a trip. And I saw an arrangement of fruit. We was in the Broad Street Market. And I saw an arrangement of fruit. I never forget it. But what I wanted to say is that when Dick Gregory's uh, presentation was over, he came out into the audience. And he shook my hand and took a picture and treated me like we had been knowing each other 40 or 50 years. And when it was over with and I got back home, my lady was watching me from the living room window, and she said, oh, man, you act like you're walking around on on thin air. I said, baby, I met Dick Gregory, took a picture with him, shook his hand, and I said, I just felt an energy that just came over me. And that energy stayed with me for about two or three days. And every day, I go past the picture of Dick Reagan myself, especially when my spirits are low, and look at that picture. But he was a great in- individual. I don't know if that was when him and Miss Hughes was doing the show or not. But I used to try to listen to them every morning that I could. And to the son of Dick Gregory, you're very fortunate 
brother to have a father with that much spirit and energy and being blessed by the Creator. Thank you for the airtime. I know the time is short. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, so you want to respond to that, what he just said, because I think that's important, what Ahmed just says. Can I just sum up how people feel about your dad? And it, I don't know if you've noticed, if you feel that the positive energy has been flowing through the airwaves this morning. Yeah, most definitely. You know, there are people who are known because amount of money they have, fame. There are others that are notorious, right? But true love and reverence, you can't buy that. And not just, you know, today, I, I feel that energy continuing today, but, you know, since my father passed um, shortly around the time of his homegoing ceremony, and even before that, the way that people would come up and interact with my father, or interact with us when they knew who our father was, it was that level of true reverence that can't be bought because of how he impacted their life. You know, you look at the stories of what Keith shared and just, you know, so many, we, we, could, we could literally be here all week relaying those interactions and relaying those stories. But that's what comes when you're truly in touch with the creator. That's what comes when you're truly in touch with the universe and understand, as he said, which was my father's, you know, guiding light, to be loving and lovable. When we focus on that, right, but right now, you take any conflict, you take the Middle East right now, you take Ukraine right now, if you inserted love, right, immediately all of that stops, immediately. Right? We often think of nonviolence as a political strategy. My father took nonviolence all the way to every level. That's why he said he became a, a vegan. Right? If I'm extending this, this universal principle of love, life, healing, health, and happiness to every aspect of my life. And, you know, one thing that I think that's important for your listeners to know, uh, Carl, is, is that with all that my father did, with all the times, all the it, just tumultuous times he lived through, as, as Keith mentioned, though he was so close with Medgar Evers and Dr. King and, 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 and Malcolm X, when you look at all of that turbulent time and all of the uh, attempts on his life and threats against his life, and my, there wasn't a day in my father's life where he did not go to bed with a smile on his face, where he wasn't truly at peace. You know, whether it was at the height of his fame when he was a multimillionaire over and over and over again to the time where he barely had $10 in his pocket. Because of that universal love, because of that universal and, 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 and being in tune with the creator and being committed to love and lovability, truly, my father was a, was a truly peaceful and happy man that loved every second of his life. And so much so, your, your dad, as you know, was the first person who got shot in the Watts riots. The Watts riots broke out in L.A., and he went out there to quiet them down. They got, he got shot in the leg, but that didn't stop him. He, he went right back yeah. out after they, after they treated him, trying to, to keep the violence down. You, there's so many stories. You, you're right, your hunter. We could, we could spend all week, maybe weeks, just talking about your dad and all the things he did. I haven't even mentioned the stuff that he, he did with, I did with him when I first got here. Took me around Washington, D.C., you know, because the signal on the AM is challenging. He says, oh, okay. The signal drops out here, but you don't have to worry. Adams Morgan, that that neighborhood's changing, so money our folks are moving out. You know, give me all these tips. You you go worry about this, but uh, then uh, soon after that, uh, Radio One added an FM 
to it. So most of you, if you listen on, on the AM and, and you have issues, just go switch over to the, the FM side, uh, 95.9, because that goes all the way from Alexandria all the way up to Bowie. So you don't have the problems with that. And then they added some more stations. And then they added uh, uh, Baltimore. So it's 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 grown. And I'm saying he was the, the mastermind because people could say they would complain about the signal. And he says, OK, we'll call it the big show. And that's why we start. That was because of him. He says the big show. That way, they, they, you know, in their minds, you you mess with their minds. They, even if they can't hear it, they think it's the, still the big show. That's how all that started. I could go on and on with, with the stories, as you know, Yasser. But I want to thank you for joining us this morning. And um, please, please uh, tell your mom that we still love her and we, we're all praying for her and the rest of the family as well. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to be here, Carl. You have a blessed day. All right. That's your Hansa Gregory. That's Dick Gregory's youngest son. Gregory's birthday today. And those of you who I didn't get, on, get, get a chance to get to, to talk to Johansson, please call us tomorrow. It's an open phone Friday. We'd love to hear from you. We can do the Greek, uh, Dick Gregory stories there. But we got to switch up right now, 10 after the top of the hour, and welcome uh, Mitchell Waters. Good morning, Mitchell. Welcome Good to morning, the program. Good Now, you're, you're in the, the, the Baltimore City Fire Department, right? And you yes, have sir. a federal lawsuit against the department. How did yes, this sir. all come about? Um, the, my, my lawsuit covers, um, my last two years of employment, two and a half years of employment with the Baltimore city fire department, just disparaging treatment that myself and other African Americans have been faced with while employed with the Baltimore city fire department. And it came about after I exhausted all my resources, uh, within the city, um, just, uh, filing complaints, um, making it known that we're dealing with this disparaging and harassing treatment uh, while we're employed with the Baltimore City Fire Department. Um, that's pretty much where it came from. But you were a lieutenant, so you weren't just like a, a, one of the rank of files. You had, you had some seniority in the fire department. Were you still affected or caused you to file this lawsuit? Yes, sir, absolutely. Um, the, 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 fire, the Baltimore City Fire Department shows me every day that me being a lieutenant means absolutely nothing. Um, and myself and other African-Americans that, that have rank, that us making rank, it means absolutely nothing. They, um, uh, they, they undermine our authority at every chance they get. Um, and it, it is, it's not only undermining, but it's, it's just, it's just unfair because, um, the human beings that have a different hue than we have are uh, they re- they they re- they receive preferential treatment um versus the treatment that we that we receive and um it's just it's really it's really sad and disheartening that in 2023 we're still fighting this fight after proving that I'm suitable to do the job that I'm I I can do the job efficiently and Everything like that, like it's just, it's just very sad that we're still dealing with this. Uh, Twelve at the top there. I'll come up on a break real soon, but I got to ask you this: What prompted you to file the lawsuit, though? Because many of us working, you know, working with the other folks, we 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 experience uh, discrimination in some form or the other. Sometimes it's blatant. Right now, these days, it's really subtle. You got to really witness it, and, and then people will tell you, "Oh, you're paranoid." It's it's not really that. But you you it moved you so much that you actually filed a federal lawsuit. I'm I'm trying to figure out what caused that you to go to that level. Okay, well, um, just some of the things that 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 personally I've been experiencing um, while while working, I received threatening text messages against my life. Somebody said they was outside my house with guns. 
Um, they said he was going to put a nine millimeter in my mouth. Um, I've also been assaulted on the fire ground along with other African-Americans that have been assaulted on fire grounds by white assailants. There was no penalty for the white assailants that attacked us on these fire grounds. When I reported oh, well, hold, that, hold, I was, hold, wait, 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 hold, hold a thought. Now who attacked you? Whether, whether your colleagues in the fire department or just other individuals? No, just uh, uh, white colleagues within the fire department. White they, colleagues in the fire department put their hands on you. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, man. sir. Hold that thought right there. Uh, I, we, we, I got to adjust that, we, but we got to check the traffic and weather. When we come back, uh, please expound on that because I, you know, it's, it, 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 well, just expound on that part because if you're on a job and somebody put, lays hands on you, you have a right to file a lawsuit. But we got to check the traffic and weather in our different cities at 14 after the top of the hour. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Mitchell Waters? He's a lieutenant in the Baltimore City Fire Department. He's suing the department in the federal court. You want to join us? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, I'm with uh, Lieutenant Mitchell Waters, who works for the Baltimore City Fire Department. He's got a federal lawsuit against the department. And before we left for the traffic and weather update, Mitchell was telling us that some of his employees, his, his working colleagues, actually laid hands on. I, I, I was just uh, struck by that, Mitchell. So what do they do? Do they, they just push you or rub again? When you say they assaulted you, can you, can you explain that to the audience who's listening now? Um, yes, uh, it just physically grabbed me and tried to, uh, tried to throw me off a porch while we were fighting the fire. Um, these, these guys that they, they come in and they call them aggressive firefighters. And I mean, while they're, while we're performing our duties on the fire ground, they have no regard for, um, for, for anybody, for, for, especially for African-Americans that they may see. And um, this is I I don't really want to go into too much detail because we still I still have things pending in regards to this. Um, But this happens frequently to African-Americans within the Baltimore City Fire Department. And there is no penalty or consequence for the white assailants when they do these things, when they assault us, when they attack us. Um, Most times these things get swept under the rug. Um, I also mentioned these things in my lawsuit that happened to other African-Americans to show um, uh, a pattern in the Baltimore City Fire Department and just just show how 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 these things are just occurring. And 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 we have to we just have to deal with it. They just tell us to take it. There's no penalty for these guys when they when they they commit crimes. They're pretty much committing crimes against us while we're on duty. Right, I don't want you to say anything that, that may impact your your lawsuit because we, you know, because you know they're going to be listening and they'll probably get a tape or a copy of, of what you have to say. So, if if any questions I ask or the listeners ask you, and you you know just say, hey, I can't talk about it. We, we understand that. But you mentioned it's not ju- just you alone. It's other black firefighters in the Baltimore City Fire Department. Is this a class action lawsuit or is this individually? So so originally it was. I was trying to make it a class action lawsuit. I wanted to get uh, a lot of um, other African Americans within the job to to step up and and speak about the things that they've been dealing with. Um, but it, we didn't have enough people for a class action lawsuit. A lot of a lot of um, a lot of African Americans are they're afraid. 
um, whether it be the, uh, they're afraid of being retaliated against, they're afraid of losing employment. Uh, all of their fears are understandable, but from where I'm standing, if we don't do something about this right now, then this is a battle that we're going to continue to fight and our children are going to have to continue to fight. And I, I mean, I personally, I don't want that. And so I gathered the information. I, I kept a timeline. Like I said, the, my timeline for my lawsuit covers for myself, it covers two and a half years of this, um, this treatment that I've received from the Baltimore city fire department. But I also talked to other African-Americans in the job and they told me about things that happened to them. They gave me date, times, locations, um, people are still calling me, uh, saying, "Hey, hey, Lieutenant, um, on such and such date, uh, this uh, this uh, white Lieutenant called me a nigger, um, and 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 I don't know what to do about it. I don't know if I should say something. And and guys call me all the time, let me know what's going on because they know I have this federal lawsuit. And um and I mean, to be honest, uh, the retaliatory actions are still occurring, occurring against me." even though I filed this lawsuit. So the fear that other African-Americans have um, with stepping up and speaking about something that the fire department has been doing for this, this is not, this is not new. And like you said earlier, um, instead of it being just blatant, like how it used to be back in the days when, um, when our ancestors and our elders were fighting this similar fight um, right now, it's more systematic. And, um, and if you're if you're not paying attention to it, you'll think. And, and that that's a, when I think back in retrospect, this has been happening my entire career. I've been with the Baltimore City Fire Department for 12 years, and it's been just the the charges and the 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 the, the things that I have to fight against in the Baltimore City Fire Department are just utterly ridiculous. And it wasn't until, um, like I said, this lawsuit covers two and a half years that I, I realized that hey. They're doing this stuff on purpose. They're, they're doing this stuff. This is not an oversight. It's not something that's just formality or anything like that. They are trying to railroad you. And if you don't know the rules and regulations, the manual procedures and stuff like that, they will tell you anything. And so I've, I've really applied myself to learning the ins and outs of, uh, like I said, our rules and regulations, our manual procedures, just so that, um, they won't get over on me or, or try to railroad me and get me out of the fire department. Now, I, feel as, I feel as though they bring African-Americans into the Baltimore City Fire Department or into these types of organizations, police, fire, uh, for um, formality reasons. And so that it won't look like uh, the place is biased or they, they, have, they, they, uh, discrim they discriminate against African-Americans. Um, but once they get us in there, they're doing everything to try to get us out of there. And if you don't know these rules or regulations and these MOPs and what they can and can't do to you, um, then uh, 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 what are MOPs, Mitchell? What's MOPs that are that's that, that's an abbreviation for manual procedure. Those are um, okay. those are guidelines that we that we follow while we're performing our duties at work. Um, whether it be a minute. Right. Hold on, go right or, there. Yeah. Yes, sir. The 27 at the top there, because uh, Leo and Smitty are joining us, two of your friends out in Baltimore. Good morning, Leo. Good morning, Smitty. Yes, good morning, uh, my brother Carl Nelson and the magnificent Lieutenant Mitchell Waters. God bless you, sir, for your courage. We are forming, are in process of forming a committee of concerned citizens 
to mobilize grassroots support around the initiative that Mitchell Waters is taking and others who have the courage to face the enemies of our people. And we're in that regard, we're having a press conference and demonstration on Monday, this coming Monday, the 16th of October, at the fire department headquarters at uh, 401 East Fayette Street here in Baltimore City. So we're going to mobilize and continue to fight. We're so proud he has the guts and the tenacity to do what has to be done because we've got a lot of chicken-ass people, (laughs) unfortunately, uh, in our city who don't want anybody to know what's really going on. Uh, And I've read with great detail his uh, lawsuit, and thank God he's had the wisdom and the God-given talent to move in the direction that he's moving. We've got his back. God bless you, Mr. Is that Leo or is that Smitty? This is Leo. Leo. All right, Smitty. I I would just like to add to that. This is a young farsighter. I've been on the job for 12 years. And discrimination has been running rapidly in the Baltimore City Fire Department. From day one all the way up till now, it's been a hidden agenda. We're going to stand firm with Commissioner, I mean, with our Lieutenant Waters. We're going to bring these conditions out to our people. We're asking all of them to join us to support this young firefighter. His family, they're trying to fire him if we're allowed by not coming together. We're going to come together, and we're not going to allow these conditions to be without black firefighters because our black firefighters are all we have when, it has a, when we have a fire and emergency in our community. So we're asking the community to come out and stand strong and firm with us. I'm also going to be airing it on that show with me, with me and Alex, which is Seniors Taking Action, and that show is aired approximately 1130 today. We'll be going over it again to make sure our listening audience be available to help us support the far black firefighters. It is time for a change. There's no need. We have in Baltimore City and we're paying taxes and they're not treating the blacks that are in the Baltimore City Fire Department within fair and just. Right. Smitty, Leo, and Michelle, let me say this. Got a tweet question for all three of you brothers. And the tweeter says, it's unbelievable. Baltimore, a predominantly black city, and these people have the nerve to discriminate against you. Why aren't people in Baltimore standing up on this? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So, Mitchell, first, I'll let you uh, respond to the tweet first. Um, I, I just I, I just believe that it's, it's, um, it's something that a lot of people are afraid to step up and say something about or... Many times they they just don't want to deal with it at all, um, and I, I agree with everything that tweet is saying, and that, that's one of the arguments that I've ma- been making. And uh, the piggyback off with with Mr. Smitty said, 
Baltimore City is predominantly black African American. So for us to for us to deal with what we are dealing with inside the department as African Americans, I can only imagine what the citizens have to deal with when they encounter these guys that 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 are giving us the disparaging treatment inside the department. I can only imagine what the people in the department are dealing with. Like I'm sure there are many complaints. I actually got confirmation that there are dozens of complaints that come in every day inside the Baltimore City Fire Department from the citizens that are complaining about the same thing that I'm complaining about and other African Americans in the job are complaining about. And and the fire department is pretty much doing nothing about it. Um, and it, it's just, it's sad. Like, and, and I've reached out to, I, I didn't just follow lawsuit. I've been, I've been being kicked around like a ball. I, I, I went to the office of the inspector general. I went to Baltimore city human resources, fire department resources. Um, I spoke to somebody from Nick Mosby's office. I saw the mayor himself. I saw him at an appointment and I, I personally went up to him and I said, Hey, I said, Mr. Mayor, um, these are some of the things that we're dealing with inside the fire department. I, I, I would, I would like, I, I, I would like for you to sit down with me and some of my African American colleagues so we could talk about the things that we've been dealing with. He gave me his personal number. I've been calling and texting ever since to try to set up a meeting so that we can talk to him about the things we're dealing with. I've, I, I haven't, I didn't just come out and say, "Hey, I want to file a lawsuit because I, I want to get money." I've been complaining about this for eight years now, since 2016. I, I've been writing specials with inside the fire department, letting them know that, hey, these are things that I'm seeing. These are things that, that, that we're dealing with. And it seemed like those specials, special reports, special reports are thing, uh, is, a, is a document that we file to relay information to the department. And these special reports that I've been submitting, they've been falling on deaf ears. Like, the lawsuit didn't just come out the blue. I've been complaining about this stuff for years. For the past two years, the past eight years, I've been reaching out to everybody. I've exhausted all resources. This is the only thing I have left to do because nothing else is being done. All right. Hold that thought right there, uh, Mr. We're going to take a short break. Leo, stay with us as well and Smitty because we've got some folks who want to talk to you guys. 800-450-7876. Our guest is Mitchell Waters. Leo Burrs has joined us and Brother Smitty has joined us as well. Uh, uh, Mitchell is a lieutenant in the Baltimore City Fire Department and he's filed a, a, a federal discrimination lawsuit against them. And we're hearing deta- some details. We, we don't want him to give everything up because the lawsuit is still pending. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Those are the magic numbers to get in on this conversation. We'll take your phone calls after the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with uh, Lieutenant Mitchell Waters from the Baltimore City Fire Department. He's suing the fire department in federal court of uh, federal discrimination. He even said they put hands on him. That's the part that got me. Uh, joining us, uh, Leo, uh, Brother Leo Burrows and Brother Smitty, two of his supporters are with him as well. We've got some other folks got questions for all three of you, so we'll get to that in a moment. Let me just remind our family that coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with Dr. Gerald Horn. He's going to decipher what's going on between Hamas and Israel. What's the, the, that fight in the Gaza 
the strip, what that's all about. I'm also going to talk politics as well and probably sports if we have some time with uh, Dr. Gerald Horn. Tomorrow is Friday. If you don't get in today on any of the programs, please call now Friday. This is where we give you a chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us in our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Let me take some uh, calls for you, all three of you. Howard's online, too, calling. Howard, good morning. Good morning, Carl. Uh, we had a similar situation in Los Angeles where uh, a fire fire was through in the department. And uh, my question is, uh, is it serious when they put their hands on you? Did you have a, a right to defend yourself or show up in front of your house with guns? Uh, how would that be handled? And uh, and what, in what phase of your lawsuit are you now? Do you have a, a court date, anything like that? That's confusing putting hands on me, and that bothers me. This is more so the police was. We call the fire department. You're in distress. You expect people to try to put out the fire, and then with that type of activity, prohibit them from taking care of their business like they're supposed to. Right. Uh, in the interest of time, let's give him a chance to answer. Thanks, Howard. So, so Mitchell, when they put your hands in, Howard wants to know, and we all want to know, did you retaliate? And what? And how far has the lawsuit gone along right now? Um, so, so right now, um, as far as the lawsuit is concerned, um, we're, we're going to, um, the judge has ordered us to go to, uh, a settlement hearing, um, towards the end of next month. Um, and then if we can reach an agreement there, um, whole, early next year, we'll be, um, we'll, we'll, we'll have a jury trial. Um, but as far as like, the, uh, being physically assaulted, um, when it came to that, um, of course I tried to protect myself and stuff like that. Um, but once again, like when it comes to that, I have, um, I have, uh, uh, I have, I have something legal pending with that. So I don't want to speak too much on that, but yeah, I, I definitely, um, attempted to protect myself from the physical attack. But in regard, like I said, this is something that has happened to other African Americans. And when these guys, um, uh, attempted to protect themselves or to repel attacks that have happened to them. Now, I know one one situation in particular. Um, one uh, one a good brother in the fire department, um, uh, Captain uh, Spencer. He was attacked um, in a fire on a fire ground last year, and he defended himself. And when he defended himself, instead of the the white assailant who initiated the the whole conflict and the whole physical situation um, being suspended or reprimanded, Lieutenant Lieutenant Mike Spence, he was a lieutenant at the time, Lieutenant Michael Spencer was suspended for workplace violence. The the, the white assailant, um, Lieutenant Joseph Stagliano, he saw no disciplinary actions, nothing. Nothing happened to him. Mm, all right. Well, hold and up then, the line. There's then, a bunch of folks. Okay. I want to talk to you, Mitchell. Let's go to line three at uh, 17 away from the top. They are Glords in Baltimore. Glord, good morning. You're on with Mitchell Waters, Leo Burrows, and Brother Smitty. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Yes, me being born and raised in Baltimore City, and I was part owner of a 7-Eleven right there North Avenue in Bloomingdale, right across from the firehouse. And I right. know a lot of fire uh, 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 people that worked in these different places. And I had a cousin that he retired. He was a lieutenant. I know you know know him, Dennis Howard, and I know people know him. So 
he has all of them has a story to tell, and it's unfortunate that this is going on still, you know, because it's been going on for a while. But the thing is, the sad part if if you are attacking a fire, and then people got an attitude, man, you know, they can cause a lot of problems when we all when they all are fighting a fire. You know, so, you know, I just take my hat off, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay in a good fight because of, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be. And it's sad. It's sad. It's sad. All right. So just keep All right. Thanks, Claude. Fight, there, there wasn't a question there. So, so thanks, Claude. But let me let me go because there's a bunch of folks want to talk to all three. So let me see if we can get some calls and we get some comments from you. Bill's in Baltimore on line five. Good morning, Bill. Just say good morning to all y'all. And I'm, I'm just calling just to let the brother know I certainly stand with him. And I thank uh, Leo and Smitty for, you know, kind of pushing this issue. And hopefully they'll put a flyer on uh, social media so people can share that flyer with everybody in uh, in terms of trying to help to turn people out for Monday. So I just want to say let the brother know that I do stand with him. And uh, thank you, Leo, and thank you, Smitty, man, for, you know, bringing this uh, uh, to the public. All right. Thanks, I appreciate Bill. that. Thank you. Let's go to line two. Hassan's calling us from Cleveland. Good morning, Hassan. Is Hassan there on line two? Not hearing from Hassan. Okay, let, let's move on because it's uh, 14 away from the top of the hour. And we got Lieutenant Mitchell Waters, uh, Leo Burrows, and Brother Smitty with us. So, Mitchell, how is it on, on the job now today? These guys know that you have a lawsuit against them. Uh, have they have, have they started treating you better now that you know that they're, they're liable for it to be sued? Uh, are they treating you any differently, or are they still treating you with, with the same, same disdain? Um. So the 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 physical attack that I received happened after I filed the lawsuit. So um, the these guys are, are upset. They're upset that I have that I have a lot that I'm pretty much exposing them. That I'm saying that hey, this is going on, and um, they 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 they're upset about that. What what is happening is that when it comes to the application of the rules and regulation and them following the administrative um, the administration following the manual of procedure when it comes to handling um, various situations, they are doing everything to the letter. So I believe that that's a great thing because that's what they should be doing anyway. But because they have this heat on them, they normally don't do that. But because they have this heat on them from this lawsuit, they're they're making sure that they cross all their T's and dot every I. Um, but when, when it, it, as far as like uh, working conditions, is guys that uh they say they're uncomfortable working with me. Um, these Caucasian guys, they're uncomfortable working with me. Um, we feel like he's going to try to get us in trouble. Um, and and um, it, it's it's just I'm I'm sort of like a a pariah somewhat um uh even even like some even some brothers or some 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 of our brothers and sisters in the job like because of because i'm I'm speaking out and saying what i'm saying um uh, we have we have a lot i have a lot of support in there from our brothers and sisters but then there, there's also some that's like oh i don't want to touch that i don't want to be a part of that and and it's just, like i said the fear is understandable but we have to we have to do something about this but um but yeah they they it's 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 been interesting it's been interesting. yeah well let me just say to them brothers and sisters who, who, who don't want to get involved you are involved 
because this could happen to you. What, what Brother Mitchell Waters is doing is for you and all the other brothers and sisters who joined the Baltimore City Fire Department. What he's doing is to make the job better for you. So you better speak up. Don't be don't, don't be addicted to white, as as the doctor as our doctor will tell us. No, you've got to stand up. You got to support the brother. Don't don't no don't shirk this responsibility. This is your chance to you know. Few times in life we get a chance to stand up and show black people that we can be together. This is your opportunity. Right. I'm speaking directly to the brothers and sisters on the Baltimore City Fire Department who, who were sort of apprehensive about supporting you because they don't want to offend their white colleagues and their white supervisors. No, this is the time we give you. A few times in life, as I mentioned, you get a chance to show how black you really are. Stand up and, and today start showing some backbone and support Mitchell Waters. Leo, I got to ask you this, though, uh, Leo. Uh, the, who, who is the fire commissioner or the fire chief? Who is he black or is he white? And obviously he's probably heard these concerns and this lawsuit has most of all, landed on his desk. So what, what can the listeners are doing right now? What can they do to help Mitchell? The newest, you said who was the, the fire chief. The, the chief of the fire department was just appointed several weeks ago by the mayor. He's a white man. His name is Wallace. And uh, when he was 23 years old, he was a, a uh, EMT for the Baltimore City Fire Department. And at that time, he was charged with bomb making, pipe bombs. So mayor, <laughs> the mayor said, well, you got to forgive people. Give them a second chance. And, I, of course, this guy was working under the Kurt Smoke administration as an EMT then. So Wallace has just been appointed. He's white. And the mayor just appointed the uh, Richard Worley, who's white, for the police department. Uh, let me say. Right, let me jump in here for a second, Leo, because I saw that and I read that about the fire chief too. I could come just come back to me. These appointments. How do, how does the city council sign? Because the mayor he makes his selection, and the city council's got to sign off on them. How are these people who are on the city council are signing off on these people? Because it's your taxpayers' money, family. You are paying these people, including the mayor. They work for you. So and the city council. How's the city council signing off on these folks who have questionable backgrounds? How does that happen? Well, the the mayor has the power as deemed by the city charter. The president of the city council and the elected city council people, some of them have guts, most of them don't. Many of our elected officials, their campaign coffers are paid for with white money, corporate monies, so that, in fact, although you had black people in positions, they were selected by white folks to run for office, and you have a kind of black puppeteering operating in this city and other cities as well. So I'm responding to a questioner on your show earlier in the broadcast who was wondering why black leaders some black leaders are not leading. They're simply the titular heads or they're the puppets representing the white establishment. And that, that has prevailed in this city and other cities for quite some time. I didn't just meet Mitchell Waters this time around. I met him two and a half years ago. He and uh, a paramedic veteran, Rhonda, and we met. And the problem was serious at that time. And... She called me up a month ago and said, man, we got to get going. 
on it, and now we've filed the lawsuit has been filed, and uh, that's why we're having our press conference and demonstration on Monday, this coming Monday, the 16th at 12 noon at the fire department headquarters at 401 East Fayette Street. So we're on the we're on the battlefield. We've got to build support, mobilize support behind this effort for justice. And we've got to right. just be courageous in doing it. Eight away from the top of the island. Smitty, I understand that you're going to discuss this later on WOLB. Can you tell us about that? Yes, we will, we will have Lieutenant Warners along with Leo Burroughs. They will be in our studios at WLB today at we we air at eleven thirty, and they will be in the studios with us. We'll be trying to iron out this condition that we see in Baltimore. Uh, Call one of the questions that you asked is what is our politicians doing in Baltimore? Our politicians are doing nothing when it comes down to giving constituent service. Matter of fact, as Leo just outlined, we don't have we don't have politicians here with backbone. We don't we don't have our people here do not hold our politicians accountable, accountable for the conditions that we go through every day in Baltimore City. Baltimore City is one of the worst racist departments that has ever been ran in the country and, and hasn't gotten any better. Even though we have blacks in position, blacks are not being able to function in the capacity in which they have been hard and. And it's just like a show and tell for them to be just put on a totem pole and not given any authority. This this gentleman here has suffered tremendously pain with his family, and it comes down to not knowing what the Mars going to bring for him as he works in the Baltimore City Fire Department to try to do his job. He's he's eliminated himself from any what we call wrongdoing that he would do as far as causing a problem when somebody steps to him. What more can we expect out of a person who's been trying to do the best that they can do? And he, and right. he's and, and Smitty, hold that thought right there, because we're going to take a quick break here. We're running late. Six away from the top there. When we come back to, we've got a question about the Black Firefighters Union uh, for Mitchell. Folks, you want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your questions and your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Hey, good morning again, family. A minute after the top of the hour, momentarily we speak to Dr. Gerald Horn. But let's wrap up with uh, Lieutenant Mitchell Waters from the Baltimore City Fire Department, along with Leo Burroughs and Brother Smitty. Uh, Mitchell has filed a federal uh, discrimination lawsuit against the department, and he's, and he's still working there every day, by the way, family. And he has to deal with these folks. As you mentioned earlier, one of them put hands on him. I, I know that's just, just rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know about you, but put hands on the brother on the job. If you're on the job and it's your colleague, White colleague put hands on you. Wow, you know, it's knuckle up time probably for some. But anyway, let's let's do this real quick. Tyrone's on line three calling from Baltimore. Tyrone, you have a question for Mitchell or Leo or Smitty? Uh, yes, um, I know uh, Mr. Leo and I know both Smith um, and Smitty too. And, and Mr. Leo, i like to thank you for all you do in Baltimore. I mean, every good fight you're, you're um, in front. And I appreciate the years you've been in my organization. And and I and I've been a member as well. I'm sorry, we said, Mr. Leo. Thank you, but, uh, thank you. Yes. But anyway, um, I agree, I pretty much agree with everything Mr. Leo just indicated. 
Baltimore City is basically run by the white community through organizations such as Greater Baltimore Committee and the Baltimore Development Committee and wealthy uh, white donors and white developers. Um, uh, and, and the Democratic Party in general, you got to be very naive to believe that they aren't as well. So you get a lot of thoughts. Hakeem Jeffries, for instance, actually has been to Alan Cole's house. Not just Clarence Thomas. Hakeem Jeffries has been there, too. So you can't rule out white money as, as the, um, the puppet masters for a lot of our black politicians, and a lot of them sold out. And I'd, I'd also like to say that of all the clubs they put in jail, in Baltimore City, I, I remember one year, like about 100,000 black people on the O'Malley administration, the white mayor we had. And uh, some of these people got locked up for drinking beer in their backyard, going to picnic, and all kinds of ridiculous stuff. Gave them criminal records, and uh, the, the murder rate went up. So, another thing is this any brother that has a criminal record and he's, he's paid his debt to, to, uh, to society, he should maybe get a job in the fire department. Anytime the chief, the chief of the fire department, uh, has had, you know, been uh, indicted and, and uh, prosecuted for uh, a pipe bomb, of all things, a pipe bomb, a fire. So, so there should be no yeah. reason why my brother put a criminal record that's looking for a job with the fire department and has not been involved in any crime for years, can't get a job with the fire department, you know, with that in mind. And, we, and right now, he's right, we have a black... And, Tom, we're going to cut loose because because we got Dr. Horn on deck and, and we want to wrap up with these, but you, you guys can continue this conversation on WOLB with Smitty later this morning. But the, the question, Mitchell, that, that, that we had... Uh, Somebody asked you about the Black Firefighters Union, the Vulcans. Have, have they chimed in on this yet? Are they, are they supporting you in your lawsuit? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Um. Uh, the the greatest support that I had from the Vulcan Blazers is like Mr. Leo Burrow said, is uh, paramedic Rhonda Johnson. Um, she is pretty much the mother to all of us in the fire department, especially all the the young brothers that are dealing with the things that I'm dealing with. She's the she's really the only one that steps up and and fights for us. Um, originally, like two and a half years ago, when everything started. Um, uh, the, the, the Vulcan Blazers president, uh, Mr. William Jones, he was, um, a very strong advocate, um, for me when I received the text messages, the threatening text messages with them saying they were outside my house with guns and, uh, threatening me with violence, me and my family members with violence. Um, he, he, he stepped up and spoke to the chief about what was going on, even though they, the fire department didn't do anything to investigate or anything like that. Um, Mr. Jones stepped up and said some things, but the biggest support that, that myself and other African-Americans that are dealing with similar issues that I'm dealing with in the fire department have from the Vulcan Blazers is paramedic Rhonda Johnson. Like she, she is, she is like the, the Harriet Tubman of the fire department. She, 
she's she's our savior. She she has more kahunas than a lot of these brothers that are supposed to be stepping up and and standing up for us. Even the ones that are in high positions, Miss Paramedic Miss Johnson is the only one that that represents us. Um, she's the biggest support that I have from the Walking Blazers. And I mean, even sometimes she she gets she gets discouraged because of what she what she what she sees happening. And, and I mean, sometimes it seems hopeless. But I, I mean, I I tell her all the time, like you you all we got, we need you, we need you. And so yeah, right. uh, brothers, you got to step up. Go ahead, Leo. I'll let you finish. She's a thirty-four year paramedic. I mean, she's a thirty-four year veteran of the Baltimore City Fire Department. And as Mitchell said, she's more than courageous. God bless her. All right. So a lot of times the sisters are in the forefront of our battles. But before we let you all three of you go, uh, Mitchell, be careful on the job. That's that's one thing I want to leave you with. But Smitty, tell us what time you're going to continue this discussion over on WOLB. What time? We'll be starting sharply at 12 noon today, uh, but Leo and them will be in the studio at 1130 because uh, we have we have AZ that, as one of our sponsors. So we usually go through the AZ program and we go right on there to 12 o'clock show with Nick. All right. Well, okay. uh, thank you, brothers, uh, and thank you, Mitchell, for, for fighting. Because you know, you think I know it's just your lawsuit, but you, you're doing it for every black person, every black firefighter around the country is listening to you now and watching to what you, what you're doing. And we got your back. If, if some of those who are on your job with you, uh, 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 you know, are failing or shirking their black responsibility, don't worry about that. You've you've got a bunch of folks out here who support what you're doing and your lawsuit. And just keep us in the loop. Yeah, that's thank right. you all for allowing us to be on your show too. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Nelson. I really appreciate it. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you so very much. All righty. You guys stay on the front foot now. All righty. Stay blessed. Thank you. Bye-bye. Eight after the top there. Dr. Gerald Horn, good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, yes, we had to invite you once we saw what was going on in the Gaza Strip and, and the fighting in the Gaza Strip, it's, we needed somebody who, who can understand, who can unpack what, how this all started. How did we get to where we are right now? Can you help us out with that? Well, it depends on your starting point. You could start with the formation of the State of Israel in 1947-1948, which involved massive dispossession of the Palestinian population, or you can start October 7, 2023, a few days ago. When Hamas, which is the ruling force in Gaza, occupied Palestine, uh, infiltrated into southern Israel, and according to press reports, uh, were involved in the killing of a number of Israeli soldiers and civilians and took about 150 hostage into Gaza. And of course, that 150 includes some U.S. nationals, just like that thousand who were killed includes a number of U.S. nationals. And now, The United States has sent a naval flotilla off the coast of Israel because there is a danger either that the United States will intervene on the side of Israel in case the Hamas allies begin to attack Israel from the north, speaking of the border with Lebanon. And, of course, in the crosshairs is Iran. The Wall Street Journal has been pointing the finger of accusation at Iran as being behind this Hamas attack. So there's a possibility, I'm afraid to say, that we may be on the verge of a wider conflict. 
Right, right, and the Saudis are keeping track of what's going on as well. But, but yeah, let, let's start with how it all started because you back with the, the creation of the state of Israel. Because what? Because people are asking, what are the Palestinians fighting for? Why, why they so? Why, uh, you know, all these atrocities they're blaming on the Palestinians. Uh, they make it sound like they just woke up one morning and got mad with the Israelis. Can Can you explain to us how how this conflict really got started? Well, the creation of the state of Israel involved massive dispossession. And I think black Americans in particular should look very carefully at the role of Ralph Bunch, a black man who graduated from UCLA, who was a leading figure in the United Nations at the time of the formation of the state of Israel, who tipped the United Nations in favor of the creation of the state of Israel. And of course, that involved the ousting of many Arabs and Palestinians from their land into refugee camps where they have been staying for the last 75 years or so. And what we also need to recognize is that the folks who run this country are united in support of Israel. They are not united on Ukraine, which is one of the reasons why we have more leeway in criticizing U.S. policy in Ukraine. But there's a real crackdown right now on dissent in the United States from the pro-Israeli consensus. People are losing their jobs. Uh, people are losing their right, supposed First Amendment right. And uh, this may be a very significant long-term consequence of this conflict. Right, because I just saw a story where some students at uh, Ivy League schools, in, um, I think Columbia and some other, and Harvard uh, spoke out. And, and because we're only getting one side, and that's the other issue I want you to talk about, too. We're hearing what, what's happening to the Israelis. I don't see any people going in, into Gaza and interviewing some of the Palestinians and asking them, you know, what's going on? I, I don't see that. But I hear they're always showing what's going on on one side of the. Why is that first? And, and uh, you mentioned, too, that there's a crackdown on, you know, the First Amendment. Those uh, students who spoke out, there's one, a couple of big companies now, so they're not going to hire anybody from Harvard or they're not going to hire anyone from Columbia or those, any of those campuses that spoke out uh, about what's going on, the atrocities, what's happening to the Palestinians. So can you unpack that for us, uh, uh, Dr. Horn? Well, actually, in the New York Times this morning, there's a story about a young black woman law student at New York University Law School who is being punished for speaking out in favor of Palestinian rights. She's lost a job offer from a major uh, law firm. You've had Bill Ackman, the billionaire hedge fund uh, manager, who is circulating a petition amongst those in his class. And they're pledging not to hire any from Harvard, for example, who were involved in a pro-Palestinian statement. Lawrence Summer, a former president of Harvard, a former cabinet official under Mr. Clinton, a former high-level official in the Obama administration, uh, he's criticized the administration of his university, now, high, now headed by a black woman, uh, Claudia Gay, uh, who, of course, is of Haitian descent, for not being more vigorous in her support uh, of Israel. So there's a real crackdown taking place right now, and people need to take it very seriously. Of course, the Congressional Black Caucus leaders are hiding under their desk. They're trying to avoid comment as well as the NAACP, uh, it would be tragic if it were not so humorous. Yeah, but Greg Meeks, uh, he's not shy about speaking up, though. I saw him on TV speaking up. Uh, but, but i, I got to ask you this question. Uh, and we come up on a break, and when you come back, I'll let you res respond to the question. 
We as African-Americans or Africans on the continent, how should we respond to what's going on there? Because the Arabs, to be real, neither side have been up. We know what the Israelis did with, with apartheid. We know, we know what the Arabs did with the slave trade. So how are we to decipher what's going on as Africans in America, Africans on the continent, or we just, we just sit this one out and just watch? I'll let you respond to that when we get back because we've got to take a quick look at the traffic and weather in our different cities at 14 minutes after the top of the hour. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If we're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information, is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, we have one of our top scholars with us on the radio this morning discussing the, what's going on in Palestine, what's going on within the Gaza Strip between Israel and uh, the Hamas. And, and his name is Dr. Gerald Horn. And we, we had this conversation before about when you're watching it on TV, you don't see anybody like us having these discussions, but we're a part of what's going on. So we're trying to figure out where do we land in all of this, Dr. Horn. Before we left for the traffic and weather update, I mentioned the fact that the Israelis, we know the role they played in apartheid, supporting apartheid. Uh, the the Arabs, we know what they did to slave trade. We know what they're doing to our brothers and sisters in Egypt and in Northern Africa. So what do we, how do we decipher what's going on? If there's a side to pick, do we pick a side or do we sit this one out? Well, we need to start in the first instance with the fact that we pay taxes to the United States government. The United States government has sent a massive naval flotilla off the coast of Israel. We are supporting that economically at the same time that our communities are suffering from homelessness and hunger. So in the first instance, we do need to raise our voices. Our members in Congress need to raise our voices about this diversion of tax dollars to the military, because Israel, quite frankly, has become an economic basket case. Just like the United States is supporting 150,000 civil service employees in Ukraine, that is to say our tax dollars because of that war, the United States is about to take on another basket case because Israel has called up hundreds of thousands of reservists. That is to say people who ordinarily stock grocery stores or sit in office cubicles are now on the front lines. And so the economy is going to seize up, not to mention the fact that the ultra-Orthodox in Israel have a nice gig going because their gig basically is not to go to the front lines. Their gig is to study holy books and to procreate. And so why should our tax dollars support that when we have so many problems at home? But you are correct to point out that the folks in the Arab community need to engage in some serious self-criticism, not only because of what's going on with regard to darker-skinned people in Libya, not only with regard to that hysterical reaction in Egypt, to this Jada Pinkett Smith movie on Cleopatra, where they objected to a a melanin-rich black woman playing Cleopatra, but also the Arab community has not been self-critical about the role of Lebanese compradors in West Africa, or even in Haiti, for example. So in the first instance, once again, we need to talk about where our tax dollars are going. But at the second instance, we need not to let Israel or the Arab communities off the hook. All right, we got a bunch of folks who want to talk to you. We're 23 after the top of the hour. On line one, Money Mike's calling us from Baltimore. Money Mike, you're on with Dr. Horn. Hey, Carl, can you hear me? Sure. Okay, Dr. Horn, I would appreciate it if you would go back to 1942 and explain to the family how Israel was created, the role that the British played in it, 
the the fact that the United Nations had a role in it. And and the second question is why are the other Arab nations against Israel? Those questions need to be answered. I'd appreciate it. And number two is how can we affect Israel getting money when they have such a strong lobby? And those are my two questions. All right. Thanks, Mike. Dr. Thank Horn. You, Israel. Israeli lobby is a very serious problem because they intimidate folks here in the United States who seek to speak up. That's one of the reasons why the Congressional Black Caucus is so silent nowadays, or either they're supporting Israel in a full-throated manner. With regard to the creation of the State of Israel, actually, you need to go back to World War I, 1917, 1918. Recall that historic Palestine had been ruled for centuries by Ottoman Turkey. Ottoman Turkey was on the losing side of World War I. Britain was on the winning side, so therefore they pick up that so-called mandate, and therefore they begin to collaborate with the Jewish minority in historic Palestine, uh, although the Jewish minority was quite upset uh, that Israel, that Britain was not moving more rapidly uh, with regard to the creation of the state of Israel. So you have these, quite frankly, terrorist attacks on British interests uh, in historic Palestine leading up to the creation of the state of Israel, 1947-1948. With regard to the Arab countries, I think that they've dropped the ball, although that may not be the case forever. I noted with interest that in the papers this morning, there were conversations between the leaders of Saudi Arabia, of course, an Arab country, and Iran, a non-Arab country, about what to do concerning the siege of Gaza, where the Israelis are not allowing in food or fuel. Electricity has been turned off. They plan to starve these people into submission. The Turks have spoken up uh, quite uh, aggressively. Recall is noted that the Turks used to be the colonial power in that part of West Asia. And so, once again, if we're not careful, the United States is going to be involved neck deep in a conflict where it is bound to lose. 26 at the top there. Let's go to New York City. Jay's waiting for us on line two. Good morning, Jay. You're on with Dr. Horn. Hey, what's happening, Carl? Right quick. Ray said to tell you hello. Also, he said to tell Fatima, if she's listening, that he miss her. Um, Now, let me just say this to you, Dr. Horn, as the scholar and the great African that you are in regards to analysis, I would hope one day that this so-called American news media would put you on display and let you tell the truth because the coverage of this situation is so one-sided that if you don't know better, you would think that the Palestinian people are the most evilest people in the world. And on top of that, let's take it to the Hamas people. They would make it seem like Hamas is not justified in their actions. Now, let's let's be clear. This is something they never say. And when I say they never say in the media. Is Jay still there? Kevin? Good day. Is, 
Jay, you must have heard heard some Mike. Please call back and finish your thought. But Dr. Horn, you want to respond to anything that Jay said? Well, we have to be very careful uh, about these stories concerning beheadings of children and the like. Recall that 30-odd years ago during the conflict between Iraq and Kuwait, we heard similar stories in the halls of Congress about Iraqis allegedly pulling infants out of incubators and suffocating them, for example. It turns out all those stories were fabricated. Uh, Mr. Biden has tried to walk back uh, this statement that he actually had direct evidence about similar uh, sorts of scandals uh, in uh, southern Israel. Apparently, he got that information uh, secondhand. And then second of all, with regard to the bias in the U.S. media, look, today, as I understand it, is October 12th. 2023. That's the traditional Columbus Day. That marks the beginning of settler colonialism in the Americas, the liquidation of the indigenous populations of the Americas. Israel is a settler colonial state. They're seeking to dispossess the indigenous population. So given the commonalities between the United States and Israel, it's no accident that the coverage, the press coverage is one-sided and biased. Just like you had the United States being a major supporter of the settler colonial regime in apartheid South Africa and the settler colonial regime in what was then Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe, uh, it's no accident. But, of course, fortunately, we have WOL. All right. And it's uh, 29 minutes at the top of the hour on WOL and WOLB. Sister Fahima is next. She's on line four. She's calling from D.C. Good morning, Sister Fahima. You're on with Dr. Horn. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Mr. Nelson, and greetings, Dr. Horn. And Ray, you have my number. You know what to do. You don't have to send any messages from Jay. Uh, That being said, I have um, a couple of points I wanted to make. Um, The South African foreign minister pointed out the the, the hypocrisy where sovereignty is an issue in Ukraine and it's not an issue um, with respect to Palestine, as as, as far as uh, the U.S. goes. The other thing is I'd like Dr. Horn to talk about the uh, Afro-Palestinians who do live under the terrain of Israel. Um, and lastly, in the 1980s, actually Israel was responsible for the creation of Hamas, uh, in an effort to counter the PLO. Could he please speak about the, and it's not a lot of Afro-Palestinians, but there is a small group of Afro-Palestinians who live in Gaza, and they're subject. So we really do need to be concerned about this because these are African people who are also involved, uh, also being subjected to this, um, not to mention the expatriates who are living there and are being mistreated. Uh, as well as Ethiopian Jews. But please talk about how Hamas was created by Israel to counter the PLO. Thank you. Hmm. Thanks, Mr. Fahima. Dr. Horn? You are correct with your assertion concerning Hamas. This was part of a wider U.S. strategy some decades ago. That is to say, seeking to undermine secular forces. Recall how that played out in Afghanistan where the United States undermined a left-wing government, which led to the rise of the Taliban, which then led to 9-11, which then led to a two-decade war ending ignominiously in 2021 when the Taliban chased uh, U.S. forces 
uh, out of Afghanistan. Something similar happened with regard to the creation of Hamas that has backfired similarly. That is to say, the United States and Israel were seeking to create a non-secular force, but that has not uh, worked out very well, to put it mildly. In fact, I think that looking over the horizon, uh, it's easy to predict that Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, uh, he's a dead man walking. I don't mean that literally. I mean in terms of his political career, because he took this hard line against the Palestinians that's obviously backfired, obviously has not worked. He is facing criminal charges, which is one of the reasons why he's sought to clip the wings of the all-powerful Israeli Supreme Court. But since his political strategy has collapsed, his political career is going to collapse. With regard to black people, yes, there are Afro-Palestinians, but there are also black people in Israel proper as well. Recall just a few weeks ago, you had a crackdown on the Eritrean population of Israel as they came under assault by the Israeli authorities. There are Thai folk in Israel proper. There are Nepali folk in Israel proper. Uh, Israel is, in some ways, has outdone apartheid South Africa in creating an apartheid state. All right, we come up on a break, and, and Jay's call us back, so we'll get to Jay. But also, when we get back to Dr. Horn, because you mentioned Netanyahu, uh, some people say he's actually created this, started this conflict to save his political life. I want to get your thoughts on that. Folks, you are, are trying to understand what's going on in this war in, in the so-called Middle East, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. You can speak to Dr. Gerald Horn. We'll take phone calls in four minutes, and, uh, right here at 26 after the top of the hour on 1010 WOLB in Baltimore and also in the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL. Before we go back to Jay, though, Dr. Horn, Sister Fahima mentioned that Israel created Hamas. Now they're fighting with Hamas. Did they create Hamas to, to sort of take away some of the influence from Yasser Arafat's PLO? I would say that they facilitated Hamas in order to undermine secular forces, particularly in the Palestine Liberation Organization or Al Fatah, which is one of its component elements. Obviously, that's backfired, just like when the United States undermined left-leaning government in Kabul, Afghanistan, and facilitated the rise of the Taliban. But back to Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, I don't think that he necessarily facilitated this crisis. In fact, it's, as I said, it may end up with him going to jail. He's had to sack a number of his uh, fellow ultra-right cabinet members in order to form this new government of national unity. Uh, His ultra-right cabinet members will not be happy with being sacked. And Israel faces a long-term crisis because they've been relying heavily upon the iron fist. But the iron fist It's not worked out very well. Supposedly, Israel had one of the top five armies in the world, but the Hamas, with using these paragliders that you saw, these flying contraptions involving uh, one individual eluding radar and the so-called Iron Dome flying into southern Israel, they used drones to drop hand grenades on Israeli military bases. And they captured uh, in their underwear a number of leading Israeli military officials. 
uh, this was a scandalous performance by this supposed uh, vaunted Israeli defense. And instead of having one of the top five militaries in the world, they may have the second best military in historic Palestine. So who gets blamed for the sh- shortcomings? Because we keep hearing about how smart they are, how intelligent their intelligence unit is, is supposed to be top notch and, and this dome that protects them. And somehow the the the, uh, the Palestinians with a, a, in Gaza who don't have supposedly don't have these sophisticated equipments and, and computers that they have. Yet still they penetrated the, the, the Israeli airspace. So who gets the blame? Well, the fish rots from the head first. And therefore, Netanyahu is going to have to walk the plank. But I think his comrades in the Israeli lobby in Washington, D.C., also are complicit because they helped to squash dissent in this country with regard to U.S. full-throated support for Mr. Netanyahu's wrongheaded policies. And so they need to engage in some serious self-criticism. And likewise, the Congressional Black Caucus which has been towing the line set down by the Israeli lobby, they need to engage in some self-criticism too, as well as the NAACP. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say... They're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, they've been basically silent. I saw Greg Meeks on TV, but we know where he was coming from, from Jump, and then we know what Hakeem Jeffries is playing the political angle as well. But for, you're right. For the most part, they've been they've been silent. The NAACP works closely uh, with the uh, Jewish organizations. They haven't said anything. Or, so, or the other so-called civil rights groups, too, have, have been silent. If they have, they're going to speak out in, in defense of Israel. So th- we already know that's how that game is being played. But anyway, it's 16 away from the top of the hour. We're speaking with Jay in New York City. He got cut off. I don't know if Jay offended somebody, but he's back now on line two. Uh, good morning, Jay. I'll let you finish your thought. Hey, hey, Carl, that's what I was thinking, man, when I got cut off. But let me just get back to this point. In regards to the media and what they're doing, they never show the brutality, the evilness, the manner in which the Palestinian people live. They live worse than the brothers and sisters in South Africa during the apartheid live, if the truth be told. Every facet of their lives is controlled, manipulated, and handed out in the most evil and vicious ways. So the reality is, how could you get upset at the people who responded the way that they did while they're being treated like animals, worse than animals. Animals are treated better than Palestinian people are. And my question to you, Dr. Hart, will at any point in time our people wake up and understand what is happening to these people? Because lastly, and Dr. Hart, I think you could attest to this, 
at one time, the Palestinian people were some of the most far literate people within that region. Most of their people, if truth be told, were educated people, were people who were learned. And over this course of brutality, they aren't as learned as they were years ago. And the sad thing is, Dr. Horn could tell you this, they had very, very good universities in all of these things. And now you have a population to whereas the children are not growing up, living in any type of siblings. Think about this. Their children live worse than white folks and black folks in the South at the poorest conditions. Just look at the buildings that are being bombed. Just look at all of those things. And the thing that people basically don't understand, this is a small area. This is not a big area. It's it's combined to the point to where as people live close to one another, on top of one another, and just look at how they be a bomb. So, you know, all I can say is this. Could you just let me hear Dr. Horn's response, Carl? We got to right. learn the truth and support the people. Thank you, Carl, and good hearing from you and talking to you both. Dr. Horn? Well, with regard to Gaza in particular, in terms of size and territory, it's about twice the size of the city of Washington, D.C. However, Washington, D.C. has a population of about 750,000. Gaza has a population of about two and a half million. With regard to Palestinians and education, because they were dispossessed, ousted from their land, an ethic and ethos developed some decades ago that they should stress education, because when you're ousted from your home, the only thing you can oftentimes take with you is what's in your head, that is to say, your brain power. And so therefore, throughout the Arab world, Palestinians have played an essential role in terms of being the engineers, the teachers, the doctors. In fact, they play a similar role here in the United States of America, believe it or not. With regard to the effect of this crisis, Watch oil prices, and this is where this is going to hit our community in the pocketbook. Already this week, you've seen a spike in oil prices because of this crisis. I understand that in Los Angeles, a certain filling stations, a gallon of gas is $7 per gallon. Expect that to go even higher. Expect natural gas prices to go up as well because there was a major natural gas facility in the Mediterranean off the coast of Israel that has been shut down because of this rocket fire going uh, back and forth. And then likewise, the United States keeps telling us that the big enchilada is the People's Republic of China. But somehow the United States is bogged down in Ukraine. Now it's going to get bogged down in Israel, Palestine. And so China might be the biggest beneficiary of this current crisis, and the reality that China is in the passing lane will become ever more evident with every passing day. All right. 
11 away from the top of the hour with Dr. Gerald Horn. Dr. Horn, before I take another call from you, they say that this was all started because Israel and the Saudis were about to have some sort of agreement and the Arab world were all upset because Saudi is one of the big players in the Arab world. And if they didn't come to come to work out deals with with Israel, that affect the, the, the balance of power in, in that region. Your thoughts? Well, let's separate these strands. It is accurate and fair to say that before October 7, 2023, a deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel seemed on the table. You had a number of Israeli cabinet officials who were visiting Saudi Arabia as a prelude to that pact that was in motion. However, that pact is off the table. The Saudis are backing the Palestinians with every fiber in their body. That's one of the reasons why you see the Saudi leadership conferring with the Iranian leadership, with which they had been in conflict at Swords Point in neighboring Yemen uh, for years. And so this also is going to be a transformative aspect of this crisis. That is to say, uh, more Arab Muslim solidarity And you see Arab-Muslim solidarity not only with regard to Saudi Arabia and Iran. You see it, as noted, with regard to Turkey, the former colonial power in that region. You see it with regard to Pakistan, where there have been raucous demonstrations against Israel in recent days. You see it with regard to Southeast Asia and predominantly Muslim nations like Malaysia and Indonesia. So this crisis is potentially a game-changer. And as noted, the United States is finding itself on the wrong side of history. And you mentioned all these nations again involved. Do you, do you think this could uh, tip off World War III? Is it, does it have that possibility? I was hoping not to address that question, but I'm afraid to say that that is, that is a possibility. Recall that just a few days ago, the outgoing speaker, Kevin McCarthy, said that there's a new axis of evil, so-called Iran, Russia, and China. Recall as well that there is a nostrum in the United States that says never let a crisis go to waste. That is to say, you should try to manipulate a crisis crisis for larger advantage. And recall as well that late Pentagon chief Donald Rumsfeld said that if you have a problem, the way to deal with it is to enlarge it. The United States has a problem with Russia and China and Iran. They're trying to blame Iran already for this crisis in Israel-Palestine. Now they're saying that Iran is backed by Russia and China with this U.S. naval flotilla off the coast of Israel as we speak, and the apparent attempt to target Iran and ratchet up tensions with Iran, I'm afraid to say that pieces are in place that could easily tip accidentally into World War III. So we come up on a break real quick. So what should what signs should we look for that it's moving into that direction so, so we can be prepared? Well, watch what happens with regard to Iran. Recall that just a few days ago, before October 7th, the United States released $6 billion in Iranian assets. Now there is a clamor to claw back that $6 billion or not to release it altogether. That's going to inflame the Iranians. Look for further negative press coverage of Iran. You see that already as we speak. Uh, Look for the discovery of some fabricated cables between the Iranian leadership and Hamas saying attack on October 7th. 
keep a close eye on this biased press coverage. Will do. All right, we got to take a quick break and check the traffic and weather around different cities in the news in Baltimore. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Gerald Horn, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone call is coming up in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the hour, we're trying to decipher what's going on in in the Gaza Strip between Israel and Hamas. Our guest is Dr. Gerald Horn. Dr. Horn teaches uh, at the University of Houston. He's one of our top scholars in Africana and history. That's what he is. He's also an attorney, by the way. Uh, if you'd like to speak to him, try to figure out what's going on, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Brother Carlos is on line three. He's calling from Waldorf in Maryland. Brother Carlos, you're on with Dr. Horn. Good morning, my dear brothers, and thank you so much for helping us to penetrate this veil of lies. Uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Horn, I think we, sh- we, we should be honest in our community and say that the nomenclature of the Middle East is, 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 is a falsity, and to name it for what it is, uh, you know, Northeast Africa. Uh, and, and the second point I wanted to bring to your attention is the Balfour Re- uh, Declaration of 1917, which you have touched upon which really laid out the parameters for, for both uh, of these people living in peace with each other. But the overlay of Zionism has shredded that Belfort Declaration and, and will never uh, uh, be implemented because uh, the, the, uh, the Zionists say that they will never seed one blade of grass, one inch of uh, of uh, ground or, or, or rock or what have you to the Palestinian people. Therefore, they might as well go to hell or be driven to the sea. So uh, I'd appreciate your comments on that, but uh, thank you so much for, as I say, being truthful and uh, and very, very uh, uh, correct on the issues as, as far as I can see. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you. Dr. Horn? Well, Clearly, that idea that has been articulated with regard to Zionism not feeding one inch of land is going to have to be rethought quite profoundly. And even the entire Zionist project is going to have to be rethought. Recall that it begins at the end of the 19th century based upon what turns out to be a faulty premise that anti-Jewish fervor cannot be eliminated. And so, therefore, you need a Jewish state. But even if you have a Jewish state, as the events post-October 7th tends to suggest, that does not necessarily guarantee the safety of the Jewish population. As a matter of fact, by gathering them in one central site, it makes them, in a sense, more vulnerable than they might have been otherwise if they had been dispersed in places like, for example, North America. And in that regard, let me refer you to the Steven Spielberg movie, Munich. Recall that Steven Spielberg is one of the more uh, profitable directors in Hollywood, of course, as a Jewish-American. You may be familiar with his film Schindler's List. But his film Munich uh, really in some ways surpasses Schindler's List because at the end of the movie, what happens 
is that the lead character, who is Jewish, decides to abandon Israel. Because, in a sense, the movie is telling you that this is not a sustainable project. And the events post-October 7th tend to undergird that. And recall as well that even though I and many others respect the idea that there should be a two-state solution, uh, that has been the demand from the international community for decades, that is to say a Palestinian state and a Jewish state, Increasingly, objective forces are pushing an opposing direction. Either there's going to be a continuation of the apartheid state, or there'll be one state with equal rights guaranteed for all, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. And the events of October 7th, post-October 7th, tend to be pushing in that direction. And speaking about the the attacks on, on, on the Gaza Strip, it seems like many of the people in Gaza are young. Just, many of them are children or, or very young people. How, how does that dynamic play in all, all this, what's going on? The, the attacks, because, you know, they're trying to counter the attacks, as you mentioned, about babies being decapitated and, and Biden claim he saw that, you know, and I guess he's trying to walk it back now because nobody, that's just hearsay. Nobody's really seen that. But uh, it, it, compare that to with what's going on in Gaza with, with the youngsters there. Well, what your audience needs to realize is that there is a likelihood that Hamas fighters, along with the Israeli hostages, are in tunnels underground. Just like Vietnam was subjected to punishing and pulverizing bombing by the United States over years, but the community of Vietnamese, and indeed a good deal of fighters, they were underground, they were in tunnels. And so what that means is that when Israel bombs these buildings, they're bombing, they're not bombing Hamas fighters, they're bombing uh, civilians, they're bombing children, uh, they're bombing uh, families, uh, for example. And now the Israelis are saying that they will continue to do so until the hostages, as they are called, of course, there are folks who are detained who are Palestinian in Israel, they're not called hostages, they're called prisoners. But in any case, uh, the Israelis are suggesting that they will continue the siege until what they consider to be hostages who are Israeli are released. That could go on indefinitely, uh, for example. We may be witnessing an unfolding genocide that is going to be broadcast live on television. Uh, This is outrageous. And I also do not feel that the Iranians and the Turks and others in the Arab and Islamic world will not stand by idly as this unfolds. The United States, as noted, I must repeat, has a gigantic flotilla off the coast of Israel poised to intervene. Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, is in Israel as we speak, conferring with Mr. Netanyahu. Mr. Biden says that they have Israel's back. They'll do everything possible to support Israel. This is a crisis that is headed for a U.S. catastrophe. Folks, we've got to keep our eyes open on this and keep and watch what's going on. Seven minutes after the top there, Bob in Buffalo, New York, has a question for you. He's on line one. Good morning, Bob. You're on with Dr. Horn. Yes, sir. Gentlemen, uh, blessed love to you. Uh, Dr. Horn, I was wondering if you can give us a, a greater clarity on terms that get very confused here in this country, Israel and Jew in terms of its historical reality, its biblical reality, and modern-day 
Israel and the modern day Jews. And when the sister asked about sovereignty for Ukraine and Palestine, how about sovereignty for us? And can you help us understand Zionism? So those are the two or three basic questions. All right. Thanks, Bob. I can speak to the latter question. I probably need clarity on the other ones. With regard to Zionism, as noted, it's a movement amongst many Jewish people worldwide that develops at the end of the 19th century on the premise that anti-Jewish fervor cannot be eliminated, and so therefore there needs to be an engathering of this community in a state of their own. But as noted, that has not worked out very well. And you need to keep in mind that all Jewish people are not necessarily Zionists. In fact, some of the most fervent critics of Zionism have been precisely those who happen to be Jewish. The problem has been that the Zionist project has been quite uh, intimidating in terms of suppressing critics of their philosophy, of their project not only within the Jewish community, but particularly with regard to the black community. And I think that that has something to do with the construction of whiteness. For example, historically, whether or not Jewish people were considered to be white was a contested ideal. And therefore, it seems to me that when you have Zionists cracking down on black people who are critical of their depredations in historic Palestine, it helps to reinscribe and reinforce this idea of Jewish people as, as, quote, white, because the whole whiteness project is based upon anti-blackness. And so, therefore, uh, they get uh, a double deal. They're able to knock out the two birds with one stone, so to speak. All right. Thank you, uh, Bob. Uh, so, uh, this question, he sort of skirted on it, but <clears throat> some, many people, not many, well, some people in, our, in the black religious community b- believe that the Jews are the chosen people in their Bible. Can you, can you speak to that? Because they're going to go in, uh, on Sunday, they're going in their pulpits all across the world, especially black folks, and tell them that uh, what's going on is wrong because they're attacking God. Can, can you address that for us, uh, Dr. Horn? Well, Number one, we have to separate holy books from history. Uh, There is the Torah, there's the Talmud, there's the Christian Bible, there's the Quran. There are many holy books on the one hand, and it would be a mistake to single out one holy book as containing all truth for all time. And it would be a mistake for Black people to accept this idea that comes, we are told, from certain holy books, that the Jewish people were the chosen people. I'm not even sure what that means, and certainly that's not manifested in 2023. It seems almost ludicrous and laughable today. Yeah, and I say that because you have uh, 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 black religious leaders and they're taking tours of, of Jerusalem and, and the Holy Land, as, as they call, call it, and they see this as an attack on, on what Jesus or God is saying. It's, it's, so, so therefore, they stand up and say, we stand with the state of Israel without, without uh, uh, you know, uh, going delving into the facts like you're doing this morning. Well, what's curious about that is that there are Palestinian Christians, one of the uh, leading late uh, Palestinian intellectuals, uh, Edward Said of Columbia University, was a Palestinian Arab Christian background. There have been many complaints about Christians, not least in Jerusalem, 
about the oppression inflicted upon them by the Zionists, which makes all the more curious the posture and stances of some of these black Christian ministers. You would think that they would have enough sense and nerve to stand up for their religious community rather than surrendering or capitulating to another religious community. All right, 12 after the top. Yeah, we're going to break real soon. Let's go to Long Beach, California. Johnny's online, too. Johnny, your question for uh, Dr. Horn. Hey, Carl. Thanks for taking my call. Good morning, Dr. Dr. Horn. How you doing? All good. Can you hear me? Yeah. Dr. Horn. Hamas. Hamas. Um, How do they treat the Palestinians? Do you know? How do they say that again? How do do, Hamas? I heard rumor that they treat the Palestinians pretty bad, too. All right, hold that thought right there, Johnny, and Dr. Horn as well. I'll let you respond to that, because that might be some manufactured uh, rumor. So, Dr. Dr. Horn, I'm sure, will clear it up for us, but we got to take a short break here. Folks, we got to take another look at the traffic and weather in our different cities. Our guest is Dr. Gerald Horn. He's one of our top scholars. He's uh, just breaking it down right to the ground for us right now, what's going on in the Gaza Strip. What are your thoughts? You want to reach us at 800-450-7876. We'll take all your phone calls. In four minutes, in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and the DMV around FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. Thanks for rolling with us. A very interesting day so far. We start off uh, uh, celebrating Dick Gregory's birthday and went into the, what's going on in Baltimore, a lieutenant firefighter, a racial discrimination suit. Right now, Dr. Gerald Horn is here. He's breaking down what's going on. In the in the Gaza Strip, because you know the the news coming out and the coverage is so homogenized. It seems one sided. I'm looking for interviews with with some of the folks with the Hamas. Why are you doing this? Just asking them. Just ask that question. Why are you doing it? What has happened? How did it start? But you get most of the time you're just getting one sided, and so that's why Dr. Horn is here. So a lot of stuff you're hearing you won't hear anywhere else. Before we left, uh, Johnny in Long Beach had a question about Hamas. So, Johnny, can you repeat the question for Dr. Horn? Yeah, it was a rumor that I heard that Hamas, Hamas has a tendency to treat the Palestinian, Palestinian people bad, too. Is there any truth to it, or do you know? Well, sure. There's no question that there's conflict between Hamas in Gaza and their counterparts who are from a different ideological persuasion in the West Bank, which is also part of occupied Palestine. But keep in mind as well that Hamas has been under siege by the Israeli authorities, despite the fact that the Israeli authorities uh, facilitated uh, their rise. And it's difficult to administer in a civil fashion when you're under siege. In any case, Black Americans, we have a long history of dealing with the lesser of two evils. That's why I have been told that there is support for the Democratic Party over the Republican Party, for example. During World War II, the United States had a Jim Crow army, but Black Americans felt that it was appropriate to support the United States over Nazi Germany. And so we would be remiss if we applied a standard to Hamas that we don't even apply to ourselves. All right. Okay. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks for taking my call. All right. All right. And since you mentioned Hamas, what about Hezbollah? Is there any cooperation, collaboration between both those groups and the PLO? I'll throw them in as well. 
there is cooperation between Hamas and Hezbollah. Hezbollah, of course, is on the northern border of Israel, that is to say in southern Lebanon. Recall that in 2006, Hezbollah, which is a kind of militia, fought the Israeli military to a standstill. They have more rockets in their possession than Hamas has in their possession. They are closer to the Iranians than Hamas is. So, yes, there is cooperation. And one of the dangers that Israel faces is that there could be a two-front war. That is to say, with Hamas in the south of Israel, Hezbollah in the north, that's one of the reasons why there's there's this U.S. naval flotilla off the coast of Israel, as we speak, poised to intervene, fighting a two-front war. If you're the target and Israel is the target, it usually does not end very well. And so Israel needs to tread very carefully. They need to recognize that since October 7th, the entire calculus in the region has changed. And by the way, the comments we've received from the Hamas leadership is that that was their intention. They wanted to shift the calculus. That has taken place. That's one of the reasons why Benjamin Netanyahu has one foot on a banana peel as we speak. 24 after the top of the hour. Before I take another call, I've got to ask you this question, though. Who's, we know who, who Israel gets their, their military uh, equipment from. How about Hezbollah and Hamas? Who's, who's providing them with military assistance? Well, the easy answer is Iran. But there are arms merchants all over the world. It would not surprise me if they, with hard cash, are able to buy weaponry not only from U.S. arms merchants and Eastern European arms merchants, but possibly from Israeli arms merchants, because money talks, and people will uh, privilege the greenback over all else. All right, 24 after the top there. Eric's in California. I'm sorry, Dan first, uh, and then we go to Eric. Dan's in Cal- also in California. He's on line three, uh, Kevin. Dan, good morning. Good morning, uh Dr. Horn, I appreciate you. Uh, I'd like to ask you the question. Uh, uh, what's the uh, uh, evangelical's influence on uh, American policy towards Israel? And then uh, why should the president be referring to uh, the situation with Hamas as evil? Because this is a secular government. Why are they referring to uh, the situation as evil and repeatedly evil, evil? What's the purpose behind that? Well, I think that what that reflects is the pernicious influence of white Christian nationalism in the United States of America. The evangelical Christian nationalism to which you have made reference, which has been a staunch supporter of the state of Israel, but the Israelis uh, might want to reconsider uh, that kind of support because many of these evangelicals uh, deep down inside are anti-Jewish. They feel that Jewish people need to convert to Christianity, and they see that as part of their long-term project. They feel that if you're not Christian, you're going to burn in hell. And that applies, of course, to the Jewish population as well. So that's a very unstable, unsteady alliance. I do not see it as an internal alliance as a result. I think the post-October 7th pressures are going to put enormous strain on this alliance, which is one of the reasons why I'm suggesting that the calculus has changed altogether. The ground beneath our feet 
has moved. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right. Thank you, Dan. 800-450-7876. Now we go to Eric and line one, also in Cali. Eric, good morning. You're on with Dr. Horn. Good morning, Dr. Horn. Let me let me say first that um, the land belonged to Canaan, <clears throat> son of Ham, grandson of Noah, dark-skinned, woolly-haired people. So I don't know how those people came from Europe and all of a sudden they um, got, got the land through conquest. The Canaanites are us. We sitting right here looking in the mirror at each other. But anyway, fast forward to your Congressional Black Caucus, your NAACP. It was the it was the Jews, the European Jews, who started the NAACP in the early 1900s. So they're in the Urban League with Arthur Spengard and that whole history. So it's, there's no wonder why they're not saying that, that they just quiet as a church house mouth. But I'm going to bring this name up to Brother Carl, um, Gus Savage. There's no more Gus Savages in the Congressional Black Caucus in the United States Congress. And you know who Gus Savage is. So So my question to the good professor is, why should, quote, us here, so called black people, support anything that Israel does? in this modern-day capacity. i take your ass off the air. Thank you. All right. And, of course, I know Dr. Horn knows Gus Savage was a congressman out of L.A., but go ahead, Dr. Horn, and you can respond to Eric's questions. Well, sure. Uh, he was a journalist, publisher out of Chicago, in fact. But with, with regard to the NAACP formed circa 1909-1910, it was actually an alliance between Jewish Americans and black Americans. Recall that W.E.B. Du Bois, a black American, was top operative of the NAACP from 1909 to 1934, at which point he had a falling out and was bounced out of the ranks. With regard to the Israeli population, keep in mind that there is a split in the Israeli population. On the one hand, you have the so-called Ashkenazim, that is to say those who are considered to be Jewish people of Eastern European descent. But then you have a large population of Jewish people with roots in Morocco and North Africa, et cetera. And what's ironic is that oftentimes they're to the right. They're more conservative than the Ashkenazim. Uh, they oftentimes form the bulwark of the Netanyahu, Netanyahu coalition. I agree that as of today, it would be ridiculous and ludicrous for Black American leadership to be in support of Israel, given the fact that Israel is not necessarily being supported by uh, African nations. Look at the statements from South Africa with regard to this crisis. Uh, Look at the statements 
from uh, South African civil society with regard to this crisis. Black Americans really need to understand that we need to develop our own independent foreign policy and not necessarily tail after the latest harebrained scheme coming out of the U.S. State Department. Amen to that. And, and you mentioned earlier about the Orthodox Jews. Has there been any attempt to draft them to fight for their country or they're expecting other people from around the world to, to fight for the quote unquote their country? Let me put that in air quotes. Well, the ultra Orthodox, they have a nice little hustle going on. On the one hand, their parties form a base for the Netanyahu coalition. But their job, as they see it, is to study holy books like the Talmud, the Torah, for example, and procreate. They don't necessarily grab a rifle and go to the northern border or the southern border. And that's one of the reasons why just the other day you have this government of national unity formed in Israel with some of the parties representing the ultra-Orthodox bounced out of that coalition because they're expecting folks to fight to preserve their way of life which is ridiculous. And in fact, they're expecting black Americans to cough up our tax dollars to support their way of life when we have tons of problems right here at home. 29 away from the top of the hour. Let's keep rolling with Dr. Gerald Horn. Mike's calling us from Florida. Mike's on line four. Good morning, Mike. You're on with Dr. Horn. Oh, good morning. Hi. Um, I am a WJBA. I call myself a, I'm a white Jewish blind American. And what I was wondering is, how are they treating the disabled people in the state of Israel dealing with the uh, fighting? Do they? I hear that the disabled people have to go in the army to not to fight, but to do other things. Is that true or what? Well, at a moment like this, at a moment of crisis in Israel, it's all hands on deck. You don't necessarily have to be on the front lines with a gun. But you can be in an air-conditioned office uh, with uh, perhaps a keyboard that you can engage in touch typing with. And therefore, uh, those who are perceived to have disabilities are seen as having a role to play, although not necessarily carrying a rifle. Right. Okay. Um, I want to say that I enjoy your information that you're giving and um, keep up the good work. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mike. He, you okay. know, I had a conversation uh, uh, with a, a Jewish person the other day, and, and it was amazing that what we're discussing, they didn't know. They, they, they don't get the information. They don't know about their history. They just don't know. And, and every time you say, I say, OK, look it up. OK, go look it up. They come back and look it up. And they go, wow, they're flabbergasted. And, and they wonder why they don't know. Dr. Horn, what's going on there? Are they, are they deliberately keeping some of this history from their, their own people? Well, obviously. And of course, we're being subjected to the same thing. Recall the attacks on teaching black history in the state of Florida. Recall all the, the laws passed against so-called critical race theory. Recall that Glenn Youngkin was elected governor of Virginia, running on a campaign in part against uh, teaching the novels of na- late Nobel laureate uh, Tony Morrison. In other words, they're trying to put black people in the same position of ignorance as many Jewish Americans apparently are finding themselves. But alas, I don't think that that's necessarily going to work because the forces arrayed against their project are much more muscular, much more numerous, 
am much more willing to fight. All right. We're going to take a quick break and take our last look at the news, traffic, and weather and our differences. And when we come back, we've got some more people who want to talk to you. Folks, you want to join this conversation. you you, you got queries about what's happening in, in the Gaza Strip. Because uh, you, you see it's all over TV. It's all over the world what's going on. And you're only getting a one-sided view. This is where we're trying to be objective and give you both sides of what's going on. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Hey, good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour. Thanks for staying with us all morning long. Interesting morning so far. Before we go back to Dr. Hornell, let me just remind you that tomorrow is Friday and we're going to give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us in our open phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. And this is one of the few places you can have a candid discussion of what's going on in the so-called Middle East, especially between the Hamas and the Israelis. Because so people, they, they, the news is so one-sided. We never hear what's going on from Hamas' side. Why did you do it? They said you did it. Did you do it? You know, just just simple questions. They're going in and they interview people who have been hurt. They're going to, you don't see, most of the coverage doesn't go into uh, uh, go into the Gaza Strip and see where those folks have got, got hurt to by the bombing. So we're just trying to give a balanced report here. 19 away from the top there. Tony's in Baltimore. He wants to join the conversation with Dr. Horn. Good morning, Tony. Tony's on line three, by the way. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Um, I just wanted to mention, you know, the Akhenazis who, you know, they claim uh, some sort of ancestral right to Israel, you know, from God gave them the land. But they're actually, through DNA, they're Europeans. You know, they're like 95% European. So I know the question came up whether they were you know, uh, white people, but they're white people, you know, and it's still uh, modern day colonialism. You know, it was the last colonial uh, conquering of an area by the Europeans. And it just happened to be based on a religion, you know, that uh, is not a genetic right, you know, to, to, to exist in a particular area. The original occupants of that area are Nabataean people and they're dark skinned and they look more like uh, the modern day Palestinian or Ethiopians than the people that, you know, so-called claim ancestral rights right. to the land. Right. And there wasn't a question there. So we're going to move on, but let me ask Dr. Horn this since there wasn't a question. Let me formulate one. Semite. What is a Semite? What is an anti-Semite? Because if you say anything that seems to, you know, that constructive or something that deemed negative about Israel or Israelis or Jewish people, they say they, they brand you an anti-Semite. What is a Semite for us? Well, you've noticed that I have not deployed the term anti-Semite or anti-Semitic. I've spoken of anti-Jewish, anti-Jewish fervor, etc. Because depending upon the way you construct that term, a Semite could encompass not only those who happen to be of Jewish ancestry, but also those who happen to be of Arab ancestry as well. Likewise, with regard to this term white, it's a contested category as well. Uh, that is to say, those who are defined as white in the United States are not just those who happen to have roots in Europe. For example, Ralph Nader, the former presidential candidate, he has roots in Lebanon, Lebanese Christian roots, in fact. 
And in fact, there is a religious component to the way whiteness is constructed in the United States of America. You mentioned the contestation over the terms, quote, Middle East, unquote, which obviously is poor geography. Others are now beginning to speak of West Asia or Northeast Africa when speaking of this particular part of the world. So obviously we have a lot of fundamental work to do because if we don't have common definitions, how can we come to a common agreement? So having said that, though, the, the uh, Hamas can be, uh, can be uh, Semites? Well, sure. I mean, yeah. Semite is not necessarily a scientific term in any case, but sure. You could have uh, Semitic uh, members of Hamas uh, by far. Okay, just want to clear that up. Tony, I thank you for your call. 16 minutes away from the top there. Let's keep moving. Let's go to line two. Sandra's calling from Baltimore. Good morning, Sandra. You're on with Dr. Horn. Good morning, Carl. I'm back. And good morning, Dr. Horn. How are you, everybody? Uh, Dr. Horn, let's think outside the box a little bit, okay? I'm not going to put this past Donald Trump. Donald Trump, I don't, it smells like this is less. Him and Putin's less. Putin want to go into uh, Ukraine? He's in Ukraine. Men now who is looking at going to jail, Donald Trump is looking at going to jail. So, I believe that Donald Trump's hand is in this mess, too. How come he's not speaking out? How come he's not tweeting about this? He's awfully quiet. I don't put right. nothing past Donald Trump. All and right. as far as black preachers, half of the black preachers don't even know the Bible themselves. So they need to sit down and shut up and go and learn something before they be talking about uh, Israel. Israel got black people over there talking about they black Jews and letting all treat them like dogs. So black people need to sit down and shut up and go learn some world history before they jump on anybody's side. All right. Thanks, Sandra. Uh, Doc, she mentioned uh, Donald Trump, and there was some talk that Donald Trump had given uh, some guy, some millionaire in Australia information. is, Is this what Sandra is alluding to? Well, I'm not sure what Sandra is alluding to, but yes, uh, Anthony Pratt, who is an Australian billionaire, apparently Mr. Trump shared some U.S. nuclear secrets with him during a trip that he made to Mar-a-Lago. Mr. Trump has not been quiet on this crisis. He he says that if he had been in the White House, the crisis never would have erupted. And he's quoted in the New York Post uh, this morning as saying that Hezbollah, the force which may be on the verge of intervening in North northern Israel, as we speak, are, quote, very smart, unquote. I'm not sure how his Zionist supporters are going to accept that. You know, and we mentioned earlier that there are black uh, black Israelis. You have the Falasha Jews in there, and they're fighting against the, uh, and there are some black uh, Arabs in, in, in as well. Do you think they're conflicted about this fight that's going on, or, or is it loyalty to, to the Israeli flag? How do you think that they're, they're doing with it, dealing with this? Well, you need to understand that uh, black people in the United States have a rather distinct psychology and political makeup based upon centuries of enslavement, oppression, and exploitation. Therefore, we oftentimes privilege blackness as a category. Other black people in the world who have not had the kind of unique experience that we have, who've not necessarily privileged blackness as a category, 
Perhaps they privileged their allegiance to the state of Israel as a category. Perhaps they privileged their allegiance to a budding Palestinian state as a category. I think that that's all explicable and is easy to explain. All right. 12 away from the top. Let's go to Chicago. And uh, Dan Kosey's waiting for us on line one. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Dr. Horn, Carl. Uh, I remember reading Dr. Chancellor Williams' book where he discussed the invasion by the Hyksos in North Africa. And the descendants of the Hyksos were the Semites, which uh, were divided into Jews and Arabs, which actually they are, in a genetic way, brothers. Uh, My question for Dr. Horn is, Israel was established in 1948. Uh, Would the area that Israel occupies now have been part of Palestine? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The area that Israel occupies today and occupied beginning with this formation of the state, 47-48, was part of historic Palestine. That is to say, an area ruled by the Turks for centuries up until about 1917-1918, as noted when the Turks were on the losing side and the British take over. And then there's conflict between the British and those who are seeking to create the state of Israel, including uh, what could easily be called terrorist attacks that the uh, Zionists perpetrate against the British forces. In fact, uh, the way that Ralph Bunch, the black American who worked for the United Nations, the way he got into the lead position in terms of negotiations is that the Zionists assassinated his supervisor, Comfort Bernadotte of Sweden. Perhaps they suspected that Ralph Bunch would be more pliable and Count Folk Bernadotte, which is why they assassinated him. And of course, that led to Ralph Bunch getting a Nobel Prize and led to him being uh, glorified and turned into a, a kind of hero in North America. All right. Thank you, sir. Nicosi. All righty. Uh, 10 away from the top. Let's go to line two. Christian's in Malibu. Good morning, Christian. Hey, good morning. Uh, the Jews don't want. Uh, they don't want to share. I mean, we're being passed that law. And the guy was assassinated by a rich, prominent family uh, in Israel. And so it's the upper class that didn't want the sharing. But let's go back 4,500 years ago to uh, Judea and Samaria, where Hamas is reacting to those years of atrocities with their, char- their charter. Here's Article 7 of the Hamas Charter, which was written in 1988. The Day of Judgment will not come about until Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews. When the Jew will hide behind the carpet tree, the stones in the trees will say, O Muslim, O Abdullah, there is a Jew behind me. 
come and kill him. Only the agarca tree, a certain kind of tree, would not do that because it is one of the trees of the Jews. Now, this is the uh, Charter Number 7 of Hamas right now. You can look him up. What do you think, sir? Hamas is a religiously oriented organization. I am a secular individual. There is a certain unity between myself and Hamas and people like myself and Hamas with regard to curtailing, if not ending, Israeli settler colonialism and Israeli expansionism. Therefore, we share a trench. But that does not necessarily mean that I subscribe to every jot and tittle of Hamas philosophy. And I would say the same for other millions across the globe who share my point of view. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Christian. Uh, 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 we got a few minutes left. Uh, Dr. Horn, Libya and also Lebanon. Do you see them being pulled into this conflict? Not necessarily Libya. Libya has all sorts of problems with these natural disasters that have unfolded in the recent weeks in terms of trying to knock together a unitary state in the light of the overthrow of Gaddafi in 2011. Lebanon, as noted, that is a distinct possibility. In fact, on the Wall Street Journal webpage as we speak, uh, there is a rather uh, hyperbolic story about Lebanon, that is to say Hezbollah, about to enter the conflict with both feet. In fact, uh, it might not be as hyperbolic as it sounds, but that may be unfolding as we speak. Wow. You know, we, we didn't, we wasn't going to stay on this topic, but we just managed to stay on this topic because so many people wanted to know what was going on and had questions. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. So I was going to ask you about your latest book. Uh, where, and you're going to be in town too. Where are you going to be? It's real soon. So I'm going to be speaking in Montgomery College uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland on October 27th in the evening. Uh, it'll be online. You can find the details. And then I'm speaking at Sankofa Bookstore across the street from uh, Howard University on October 28th in the early evening. Uh, two new books dropping. Uh, one, I dare say, which is a reader, a compilation of articles and essays published over recent decades. And another entitled Acknowledging Radical Histories, which is an account of interviews and conversations I've had. Not unlike the conversations I've been having with you. Although, don't worry, Carl, I'm not publishing any of our conversations. I would ask your permission before that were to occur. Uh, well, you have my, you have my permission. Go ahead and do it. Our people need to know. We got to keep our okay. people informed. But uh, can people follow you online, uh, Doctor Horn? Well, sure. I, I got a ton of. You could spend the rest of your life watching my uh, talks and interviews on YouTube, for example. Not to mention many of which are posted uh, on uh, Facebook, going on Instagram uh, as well. So uh, I would point. Uh, your audience uh, to those sources. All right. We've got to run. But Dr. Horn, thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, all your information. With us. Thank you for clarifying what's going on in the so-called Middle East with us this morning. And we'll see you on the 27th and the 28th as well when you come to town. Thank you. All right. That's Dr. Uh, Gerald Horn. Folks, we're out of here. Stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power.